Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors led by Emma Wendt, who is going to take us through Act 3, the beast, the behemoth that is Act 3 of Hamlet. Off we go. Act three, the beast, the behemoth, the legend. Here we go. So just picking up from where we were, here we are on page 70 of the text, the place, the thing where, and I'll catch the conscience of the king, uh, rolling swiftly on. Here comes everybody at the top of three, one. Let's take it away, Claudius. And can you by no drift of conference get from him why he puts on this confusion? He does confess he feels himself distracted, but from what cause he will by no means speak. Nor do we find him forward to be sounded, but with a crafty madness keeps aloof when we would bring him on to some confession of his true state. Did he receive you well? Most like a gentleman. But with much forcing of his disposition. Did you assay him to any pastime? Madam, it so fell out that certain players, we are wrought on the way, of these we told him, and there did seem in him a kind of joy to hear of it. They are here about the court, and, as I think, they have already order this night to play before him. He is most true, and he beseeched me to entreat your majesties to hear and, and see the matter. With all my heart, and it doth much content me to hear him so inclined. Good gentlemen, give him a further edge and drive his purpose into these delights. We shall, my lord. Sweet Gertrude, leave us too. For we have closely sent for Hamlet hither, that he, as twere by accident, may hear affront Ophelia. Her father and myself, lawful espials, will so bestow ourselves that, seeing unseen, we may, may of their encounter frankly judge, if be the affliction of his love or no that thus he suffers for. I shall obey you, and for your part, Ophelia, I do wish that your good beauties be the happy cause of Hamlet's wildness. So shall I hope your virtues will bring him to his wanted way again to both your honors. Madam, I wish it may. Ophelia, walk you here. Gracious, so please you, we'll bestow ourselves. Read on this book. That show of such an exercise may color your loneliness. I hear him coming. Uh, let's withdraw, my lord. To be or not to be, that is the question whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin? Who would fardels bear? to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought 
and enterprises of great pitch and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Softy now, the fair Ophelia. Nymph in thy orisons be all my sins remembered. Okay, let's pause there for a second before we before we crack on. It just fucking pops off right at the beginning, doesn't it? Here we are again spying on our kids. It's we talked about it so much yesterday, and here we are with like the staging of this moment, the positioning of Ophelia down to take this prop <laughs> and we'll be over here, you know? I mean, the the staging of the moment is so interesting but just before we move past it our discussion yesterday about the different words that they use for hamlet's madness or not madness was really in my mind when it begins with his confusion as claudia says and then the fact that rosencrantz says distracted and then gildenstern says a crafty madness my question really for rosengild after the decision that we made yesterday about that first scene with ham which i think was the right one about it being a warm reunion and a like yeah we actually are connecting here my question about this scene then when you report back is what are you doing are you are you playing both sides are you telling them what you really think are you like who are you playing hamlet or gertrude and claudius in my you know heart. Yeah. In my heart, it's like um, in high school when you find out what, that one of your friends is doing drugs and you're like, do I tell their parents because I want them to be safe, but I don't want them to get in trouble. They trusted me. Uh, that's maybe a bad metaphor, but... <laughs> No, I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of it into feels it. Like when you when you find out something about your friend that's like a little disturbing, like you find out that mm -hmm. your friend is struggling and you're like... Mm. Ah, man, they don't want me to tell anybody about this, but I feel like they need a little bit of help. I think when, um, yeah, like I do feel like there's like a, like a little bit of a, what do you call it? A high wire, tight wire. Yeah. Sure. sure. Um, between like selling out his friends, but also like respecting the king. And I do feel like in Rosencrantz's first line, when he says he does confess, he feels himself distracted, uh, but he won't tell me why. I feel like distracted is such a great word for like, <laughs> What do you think it is? Because I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They continue to hold their cards pretty close to their chest. It was just something yeah. I want. I wanted to uplift of like you're being careful, but you aren't ratting him out. Exactly. Uh, yeah, they're not saying what he told them. They're uh, sort right. of like, I, I, you know, maybe he'll tell us more. I think I think why Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are some of the people who get the most fucked in this play is because they do sort of try and play all sides of everyone like they don't know what they're doing but they want to be on good terms with everybody involved in the thing they don't understand and then they get murdered by pirates or some shit so you know <laughs> trying to be liked while you have no information about the game you're actually <laughs> playing is a pretty losing hand playing it's not the way <laughs> while everyone else is playing chess <laughs> exactly well okay well it's good for just us to keep an eye on where you are kind of in your allegiances to hamlet and how you're handling your situation and then here we get from Polonius and Claudius, this thing of, okay, we're going to, we're going to do what we do best. We're going to spy on our kids. And, and they call it lawful. They're really careful to call themselves lawful yeah. spies. Yeah. It's Claudius's line, isn't it? Lawful. Espials. Espials. Yes. Yeah. That is so interesting. And it's like, well, I guess 
nobody said it wasn't, but all right, like <laughs> put that on the table, I guess. Okay. I, I have one question, which is just like about this, uh, Claudius's line, the sweet Gertrude leave us too, for we have closely sent for Hamlet hither. The sort of gloss of closely that I have is like secretly or covertly, but like, what does that mean? Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like trying to imagine what that would be, how they have covertly sent for Hamlet. And then, you know, does that feed into like an interpretation of how aware is Hamlet that Hamlet is being watched in this moment? Yes, yes, that's my, that's sort of my, it's helpful to begin that question here with Claudius's line. Yeah, I don't know, Patrick, do you have a thought about that for we have closely sent for Hamlet hither? I have lots of thoughts about that line that I will let you know about at another time, I think. <laughs> well, okay, that's fair. Then what I wanna do is take this, use that as a bridge to take the bulk of the question to Julia, which is, we come from the audience watching the incredibly deliberate staging of this moment to here you come. And I mean, yeah, the big question of, talk to me about who this is for. I mean, it's tricky because it's sort of like, obviously it makes a lot of sense that he would know what's going on, but also like, I think also as an actor, like this speech is so beautiful. And so, you know, like you can't get away from it. Like I, I yeah. Mm -hmm it's, it's, it's stunning. You know, the language is incredible. It's so compact. It's so like what everyone, what every person of this age has felt going through a hardship. Like it's, 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 it's what makes the play famous, which is that like, it really encapsulates in however many lines exactly what it feels like to be human and to contemplate your own mortality. So it, it kind of feels like it doesn't serve the actor to really like worry too much about like whether or not <laughs> you know mm -hmm. to, to get lost in in the sort of like implications of, of like who if, if this is a performance or not it feels like that would take away from the beauty of the moment maybe mm -hmm. that maybe that's my answer is that like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because he if it even if it is for them he definitely still feels this way it's in verse you know it's it's beautiful it's poetry and you know, if, if this is a performance for them, it's rooted in, in truth. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that angle of it. You know, I have lots of other thoughts, but. I think that's a great answer. I think that that's that, I think that that cuts to, I think it's a perfect tiny microcosm because as you say, it, it has such incredible stature in the play. I think it's a tiny microcosm of all the big Hamlet questions that we've already begun to turn over of like, how real is the madness versus how real is the crisis? I feel like the most emotional answer is sort of the both end of like, this is, this is the place where those two lines intersect. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, if they're there, yeah. fine. If they're there, fine. But it's all true. I think yeah. that's, I think that's smart. I think it's like, it's an easy trap of like, you want to avoid being like oh my god this is the most insane famous speech of all you know you, you of course. like that that fear and i think that that fear can maybe lead an actor into being like well i have to figure out if yes. it's this or this instead of actually just like giving the language the respect it deserves and like sitting back and and we've had these types of conversations before about like famous speeches where it's just sort of like 
you know, obviously you want to treat it like the words are new and fresh and you're really giving them, you're, you're treating them as though the character is thinking of them in the moment, but also to ignore the fact that everyone knows what's coming next and that everyone is going to perk up at this speech is, is doing yourself and the rest of the play a disservice. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's, even if it is a, a bit of a performance, you know, Mm -hmm. isn't there a world in which he could still get lost in of course the realness of it like doesn't that make it more interesting (laughs) I think it's I think it's exactly that I think it's exactly that and I think that it's also even like even if he is aware I think that there's almost like a sort of shade a shade between choice that is about like even if he is aware that there are there he doesn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I think that there's the version where it's like, because I think, I think the, what sometimes gets lost in that question is that people interpret it as like, okay, well, is this real or is it a performance? You know what I mean? And that's too much of a binary to be, to be useful. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's absolutely right. I think that even if there is a sort of lurking awareness. That's not new. There's always a lurking awareness that you're being watched. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not even special. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, but I think it's all real. And I think that's the best choice. And however it most authentically wants to come out of your body is the best choice. Right. I think also it's like, he doesn't reveal anything here other than, that he is depressed, which they all already know. Yeah. And like, in a way it's sort of like, isn't a part of like, if, if it's a part of the performance, like isn't a part of madness also like, like, like people, you know, su- suicide is, is a serious mental health. You know, I'm not expressing this well because it's no, no. an emotional speech and an emotional topic, but you know, it, it's like that goes along with his story as much as it goes along with his truth as we've already said, but also, like you said, he's a, he's a prince. He's been being watched for four months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. I think I, I think, Oh, go ahead, Patrick. I was, I, I, I really liked that observation, Julia. And I wanted to sort of follow off that maybe from Claudius's point of view, which is that I think this is the, it, it, you know, if Hamlet is performing the speech for people he knows are watching him, how much, you know, how much of this is a revelation of, what he's been going through since the beginning of the play that he that he that he is suicidal and that um uh, and and that the the revelation of that you know that af- after the speech Claudius is going to come on stage and say like yeah he doesn't sound okay like he's not he's not he's not going insane but he's not okay and like how you know how much of the decision to send him to England is just based out of like you know just preserving Hamlet's <sighs> I mean obviously mm. what happens with Ophelia is a part of that as well but like mm-hmm. um you know, to, 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 to watch someone, um, to watch someone voice what, what's going on is, you know, you can't take that back. Yeah. It has the opportunity to be a really honest moment between all the, the, the players in the, in the room, you know? And I think also coming off of, coming off of the last speech, which is, like the plays the thing where it'll that then I'll know then I'll really know the plays the thing where I'll can catch the conscience of the king like mm-hmm. after tonight I'll know what my job is and I've said you know I'm gonna erase myself and I'm trying to do that but there's like so many things here and so many things going on and I'm so overwhelmed but after tonight I'll know whether or not I have to kill my uncle whether I have to 
whether I have to like go deeply into prayer and, Mm -hmm. and sort of just like think about my life and my choices or whether or not I have to consider, um, completely unpack it, like completely a full upheaval, full treason, like discarding my country, my home, my mother, my, like the love of my life, my friends, discarding everything, uh, for a sense of sort of like to to do the bidding of a ghost, you know, (laughs) like it, it, it's, it's a, it's something, it's a speech that you would, you would say if, in two hours, you were going to know the answer to your entire fate. A life or death question. Yeah. I think that's really bringing up the timeline is really helpful because yeah, we've, because we ended the previous act with this is the path forward. It ends like you talked about from it, it goes back out at the end to sort of like, ah, now I have a plan forward we go. And then, you know, the, the pause, the, the antsiness of the day leading up to when you'll have the answer is a really helpful energy for this speech. Actually, I feel like the thing of like soon I'll have the answer to a life or death question. That's really helpful. I think, let's see, I have so many questions and I'm trying to prioritize them in the interest of time. I think one of the most significant questions for Ophelia is what we do have to be specific about is in exactly what state you enter the scene with her and you know in in what way we'll discover it in a second as we go on into the scene but like whether or not you've already I don't know how how intensified the speech has made your emotional state right before the scene because I think it's clear that already Well, no, I won't even say that. I'll wait until we get into the scene. But basically, Julia, I wondered if the, basically what the speech does to you, what the experience of working through the truth does to you that where it deposits you right before she walks in. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it's like, it's a thing that I'm excited to delve into with Zoe most first and foremost. And second of all, it's a thing that becomes the love of my life. And just by looking at her, I remember every horrible thing I've ever done and I'm ever like, I'm, I'm going to have to do, you know, like it's that, that you know, if you, if you, ign- if you do this, the get thee to a nunnery scene without remembering that line, you're missing yes. some real big stuff. Yeah. I also would. What I might, what I, Oh, I wanted oh, no, to go. just add question or maybe answer. I'm not sure. Uh, like, again, going back to timeline, because the last time we heard from Ophelia, she was saying that she followed her father's orders and basically bar- she literally says barred his access to me. So like, is this mm-hmm. the first time with the exception of Hamlet, like barging in on her and grabbing her and like having a freak out in her face? Is this like the first time they're seeing each other again in months? Cause she hasn't been allowed to see him. And now they're like, let's throw her in his path and like, see what happens. Cause I feel like obviously that's a really important question, yeah. but I feel like I never see it done in a way that's like, they have literally not seen each other. Like, I feel like it's always like, oh, and here comes Ophelia. And then it's like, this scene goes down, but it's, I don't know. It, it's a big question for me. Like what has happened in the interim with that? The, te- the text strongly supports that they have not seen each other. Right. Ophelia's first line. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a 
great thing to bring up. It's like, it's a big deal. <laughs> I guess that that is a huge deal. And it's super helpful to have in our brains. Just, just for me to clarify where act three sits, Isabel, maybe help us that, uh, we went as we went over yesterday, there's been about a month's time between acts one and two, but act three has to follow immediately concurrently from act two because the players act just got here and they're still here. Act three is like right? the next day. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the gap of time between Hamlet and Ophelia is the gap between act one and two. That's what we're talking about of like from. But, but not the gap, but, but the, 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 the moment of like going into her closet and grabbing her also just happened right. because she just came in to report it. Yes. yes. Am I right? So that's, yeah. so that's recent. Yeah. But it wasn't like a conversation, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and also if it was the last time you saw each other, that's really useful info too. Yeah. You just had a freak out <laughs> and then ran away. Okay. I also just wanted, before we go on, I just wanted to not even say anything about it, but just uplift the fact that the word Claudius uses, I'm just really conscious of these two men, these two dads, trying to work out their problem by throwing this woman in the path of this young prince who they consider to be crazy, even after what Ophelia told her dad about what he did and how it felt and how we sat through, like how visceral that felt with you yesterday, Zoe. And then the fact that the word that Claudius uses is affront, where Hamlet may affront her you know, and the fact that they're like, all right, well, let's just throw her in there and see what happens. And then, of course, whether or not Hamlet is aware that they're there, like what happens happens. She knows they're there. And however far it gets, nobody comes in to get her until it's over. So like that is significant. And I kind of just want to live with it in the air. And I also just want to keep we're not done talking about to be or not to be. I want to hold it while we let the scene happen and then see how we feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's groovy. So, Julia, if you want to crack it from Soft You Now. Soft You Now. The Pharophilia. Nymph, in thy orisons be all my sins remembered. Good, my lord. How does your honor for this many a day? I humbly thank you. Well. My Lord, I have remembrances of yours that I have longed long to re-deliver. I pray you now receive them. No, 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 not I. I never gave you aught. My honored Lord, you know right well you did. And with them words of so sweet breath composed as made the things more rich. Their perfume lost, take these again. For to the noble mind, rich gifts wax poor when givers prove unkind. There, my Lord. Are you honest? My Lord? Are you fair? What means your lordship? That if you be honest and fair, your honesty should admit no discourse to your beauty. Could beauty, my lord, have better commerce than with honesty? Aye, truly. For the power of beauty will sooner transform honesty from what it is to a bawd than the force of honesty can translate beauty into his likeness. This was sometime paradox, but now the time gives it proof. I did love you once. Indeed, my lord. You made me believe so. You should not have believed me, for virtue cannot so inoculate our old stock, but we shall relish of it. I loved you not. I was the more deceived. Get thee to a nunnery. Why wouldst thou be a breeder of sinners? I am myself indifferent, honest, but yet I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me. I am very 
proud, revengeful, ambitious, with more offenses at my beck than I have thoughts to put them in, imagination to give them shape or time to act them in. What should such fellows as I do, crawling between earth and heaven? We are errant knaves. All believe none of us. Go thy ways to a nunnery. Where's your father? At home, my lord. Let the doors be shut upon him that he may play the fool nowhere but in his own house. Farewell. Oh, help him, you sweet heavens. If thou dost, Mary, I give thee this plague for thy dowry. Be thou as chaste as ice, as pure as snow, thou shalt not escape calumny. Get thee to a nunnery, farewell. Or if thou wilt needs marry, marry a fool, for wise men know well enough what monsters you make of them. To a nunnery, go, and quickly too, farewell. Heavenly powers, restore him. I've heard your paintings well enough. God hath given you one face and you make yourselves another. You jig and amble and you lisp. You nickname God's creatures and make your wantonness your ignorance. Go to, I'll no more aunt. It hath made me mad. I say we will have no more marriage. Those that are married already, all but one shall live. The rest shall keep as they are to a nunnery. Go. Oh, what a noble mind is here o'erthrown. The courtiers, soldiers, scholars, eye, tongue, sword, the expectancy and rose of the fair state, the glass of fashion and the mold of form, the observed of all observers quite, quite down, an eye of ladies most deject and wretched that sucked the honey of his music vows. Now see that noble and most sovereign reason like sweet bells jangled out of time and harsh that unmatched form and stature of blown youth, blasted with ecstasy. Oh, woe is me! To have seen what I have seen, see what I see. Love, his affections do not that way tend. Nor what he spake, though it lacked form a little, was not like madness. There's something in his soul, o'er which his melancholy sits on brood, and I do doubt the hatch and the disclose will be some danger which for to prevent, I have in quick determination, thus set it down. He shall with speed to England for the demand of our neglected tribute. What think you, aunt? It shall do well. But yet I do believe the origin and commencement of his grief sprung from neglected love. How now, Ophelia? Uh, you need not tell us what Lord Hamlet said. We heard it all. My lord, do as you please, but if you hold it fit, after the play, let his queen mother all alone entreat him to show his grief. Let her be round with him, and I'll be placed, so please you, in the ear of all their conference. If she find him not, to England send him, or can find him where your wisdom best shall think. It shall be so. Madness in great ones must not unwatched go. Okay. Oof. Here we are, gang. Isn't it so interesting that after that scene, Polonius, Polonius's plan is, like Polonius's diagnosis is that kid needs to get yelled at by his mother. You know what I mean? That really struck me about how funny that is of like what we've just seen and we're going to we're going to talk about it a lot. But the fact that this picture of Polonius that we've been building up as like, no, he's smart. He's cagey. He understands how to read people. He's a good judge of character. His diagnosis on that fucking young dude is needs to talk to his mom. <laughs> and.
And that's so interesting because there's obviously so much noxious gender anger in the scene. And, you know, it brings up obviously like, we're going to get to Gertrude in this act too. And the fact that, uh, you know, there's only two women in this play and they're both these really isolated figures. And I don't know, it's just symmetry that we're going to talk about more as we go, but, but Hey crew, there's so many different little things that I want to speak to, but yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to speak on that because I think that is something that mm-hmm. you guys, you and Colin have been talking so much about and I'm interested to hear Colin speak more about. But I think like, I mean, the very last thing that he says that is like those that are married already all but one shall live. Like it, it doesn't take a fucking genius to figure out what he's talking about there, you know? And I think that like, it feels to me like productions that try to make, and this is what I'm curious to hear Colin's thoughts on. Um, it feels like productions that try to make Polonius into a boob are trying to justify Hamlet killing him to the audience of like, we need to make him a little bit stupid and hateful so that it's, so, so that it's okay when he dies, which is such a mistake because it should feel as violent at it, as it is, I think, because it changes the tone of the play and it changes the tone of the character um, at that point. So I think it's like, it, it's so, he's so insightful. He's like, hey, King, it's probably not about you, my guy. It's probably about he's upset with his mom, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, I think I think kind of going back to it of, in terms of reading people and going to it, I think I think of anybody in this building, Polonius realizes that Gertrude is the one that knows him best, I think, you know, at the end of the day. And it's one of those things to say, let's get her pulse check on him, you know? And I think kind of going back to what, I forget who said it too, of just like, everybody is trying to really help him. And I think I think it is coming from that, you know? It's not only Ophelia, uh, but he sees it. And I think we're all quick to just put labels, even in today's society, put labels on uh you know diagnose just like and fix it with a pill whatever pills right like here it is and i think you know the faster we know what it is the 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 quicker we can fix it you know and i think the haste of polonius in that way is recognizing the, the what happened you know he's he's heard what what was said you know, I like the justification for me as an actor of just like loving my daughter as much and like thinking her like, you know, the sun and the stars and all of that and just recognizing that, yeah, like it makes sense for this guy to lose his mind over her, you know, like, yeah. and and almost the speech to me, if you, if, if that is my reality, it, it, it could be justified in that way. Like, yeah, maybe it's not, maybe he's not crazy, but he's definitely depressed, you know, like there's, it might not be, you know, there's some, but it, but either way, the root cause is her, you know, For and sure. I could see that there. It also, you know, occur- I don't know, yeah. it also occurs to me that like, as we've said uh, in the previous acts, Polonius was Hamlet Sr.'s advisor as well. And so probably nobody knows more about Hamlet Jr.'s fascination and like father idolatry than Polonius. Mm, and like, you know, and, and we see him sort of like spying on his kids in sort of like a, you know, you know, non-hurtful, like overly protective parent way. But, you know, like, I'm sure that he's not the first, like, this isn't the first time he's been like, hey, I overheard something, King. You know, and like it, 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 he 
is definitely a character more knowledgeable than than he yeah. uh, is played usually. I mean, it makes it definitely it makes sense and uh, but yeah, I think like I said at the end of the day, it's it's reaching out to find you the the help the fastest at least in Polonius's brain of who here could be who here is the fastest help to him, you know, and like let him let him enjoy it after the play, but like let's let's get let's get Gertrude in to really get alone time with him like that hasn't happened really here Mm. yet um that's right harrison not to disagree with that because i definitely don't disagree that gertrude is will be helpful in dealing with hamlet at this moment but it's also really interesting i think to track that in this play where there are only these two women there's such a huge amount of responsibility and such a burden of responsibility placed on these two women by the men with power in this play and sort of a lot of those men, you know, don't necessarily take personal responsibility for that and instead place it on these women. And it's so interesting because I feel like there's also like a straight lineage back to the very beginning of the play in the conversation with the ghost. You know, Hamlet's relationship with his mother and with women seems so much traced back to his father and in that like initial confrontation with the ghost. That's right. That's super helpful to remember to remember us the as we talked about at the time, the ghost's language about Gertrude's lust was something the ghost said that Hamlet didn't say before he arrived. Isabel had a thing. Yeah, I just think that this um, this isolation of the of the women is is so deeply crucial um, because Elsinore feels like this really small place with all that the eavesdropping and everything, and and we're and we're constantly reminded of how isolated they are by the opposing outside threat of Norway as it closes in. So the walls kind of close in and things get more and more claustrophobic, and it's like Ophelia has like this like spark and like this like drive where it's like if she could just get out of Elsinore, she would be another Rosalind or like a Juliet, but she can't. And I actually think that one of the great kindnesses that is in the nunnery scene, there are a lot of ways of reading this scene, but I actually see it as much kinder than it's usually read because, you know, everyone's like, oh, a nunnery is a brothel. Okay, but it's also a nunnery. And nunneries were places where women went to with other women, uh, both in a platonic and gay way, uh, but it was also where women went if they were pregnant um, and it was the only safe place for them. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I mean, the, oh, no, go ahead. It's always felt, I mean, obviously the scene is like so complicated, um, but that, that so rings true with how I've always sort of felt about this scene is that it, in, in some ways, it, it feels like both, like both a, like, please, like, I need you away from me, but also like, you have to protect yourself, you know, like, you don't know what's about to go down like get out of here like go somewhere yes. safe hold, hold yourself up somewhere safe where no one can get you you know it, it's always that has always the scene has always had that ring to me um and I think it's it's that's really cool to know that that is kind of supported in the in the the dramaturgy of it well, and believe none of us, you know, I mean, so much of it is about like, not just me, all men, we're all garbage. I'm even kind of an okay one. And I suck balls out of here. Just go, just be done. You know? And I mean, like, that's, that's a big, um, that's a big part of the text in order to, in or I just want to slightly touch base with both Julia and Zoe about the timeline and emotional logic of the breakup. Because the thing, something that's always sort of unclear to me, and 
is murky in the timeline of the text anyway, because like we said yesterday, so much of this actual relationship happened before the beginning of the play. But the thing is, Hamlet, like at the beginning of the play, Ophelia is instructed not to speak to him again. We know textually from her conversation with Polonius in Act Two that she has done that. She's barred her access to him. You know, that's such a specific way of phrasing it. And then here she comes to give him all of the letters. And basically there's like a weird lurking question of like kind of who broke up with who that I feel like I sort of want to talk about because I feel like Hamlet thinks she broke up with him because she just stopped speaking to him. And yet I think that we think of the relationship as Hamlet having broken up with Ophelia because of this scene. So I kind of just wanted to open that can of worms and like Zoe, Julia, talk to me about how you feel about the end of this relationship and is it done? Is it not done? How does Ophelia actually feel about it now? Can we say? I mean, Ophelia starts speaking in verse and Hamlet like refuses to speak in verse. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, like he's like, no, this isn't a love scene. Like you, you don't, you've said you don't love me. I think that like fully tracks for me. And then eventually they both speak uh, in, in prose, but yeah. Go Zoe. What do you, what do you got Zoe? I was going to say sort of off of that to me, this is a classic. Somebody acts so shitty that the other person has to do the breaking up. It's like that, (laughs) that classic conundrum. It's like, (laughs) I'm not going to break up with you, but I will like, just go along being sort of an asshole until you have to do it. But also reading through this with you, Julia, it was so different than I feel like I've ever felt about this scene because I really, I came in, I don't know if this is just like me, Zoe coming in. I was like really pissed off, kind of furious that I'm being made to do this whole ruse. Like, I don't like it, but I have to do it. I'm pissed off at you for like coming in and barging in on me and, you know, like hurting me um, and I'm scared and I'm pretty angry. And then I hear, I mean, this is another big question. Then I hear the to be or not to be whole thing. Yeah. And it's literally somebody like spilling their guts out to you being like, I'm hurting like beyond repair essentially. And then I have to come in and break up with you. And so it's like this weird mixture of all this, sh- like, I mean, you saying like nymph and thy orisons be all my sins remembered. I feel like that sums up the scene for both of them. It's yeah. like all of the shit of this whole relationship is just like being spilled in front of everybody. Yeah. Which you yeah. guys, which we were both like publicly doing this in front of people. That's the other thing. It's like Ophelia knows that they're watching from the beginning and maybe Hamlet, we don't know if he knows or not from the beginning, yeah. but it's like this weird thing, but it's almost like she she has to forget that. Like you yeah. go so hard at each other that it's like, we forget that there are people watching this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that the stilted sort of nature of the greetings at the beginning of there's something really heartbreaking about good, my Lord, how does your honor for this many a day? I humbly thank you. Well, like about the coldness between them. And I think that also speaks about the that speaks about being watched, but it also speaks about this time, this distance of time without a conversation that we've had of kind of like, how are you doing? Like, I also, <laughs> you know, kind of funny, like it's almost an opportunity 
I mean, incredibly dark, but it's almost an opportunity for like a really dark, humorous moment of Hamlet doing to be or not to be, Ophelia seeing it and then being like, so how you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's coming it's, in. It's hey, so like a, it's been a while. Like, it's so oh. like a, hey bud, how you been? It's so brutal. <laughs> Zoe, I really, I really love and really want to hold on to what you said about kind of this idea that she enters the scene, she enters the scene much more ready to yell at him than she ends up being because of to be or not to be. I think that's a really helpful function for the speech dramatically that like, well, you thought you were going to be in one kind of scene and then you end up being in a different kind of scene because how can you yell at someone who wants to kill themselves? Yeah, exactly. I also I'm curious about the the like this first little like paragraph in in verse that's like my honored lord I know you about the letters yeah. I'm curious as to your thoughts on that Zoe because for me it reads as like because you know Hamlet's response to that is like ha what <laughs> like and it, it feels so much to me like a prepared speech of like okay like the things that I wanted to say is like you you wrote with such beauty with you know sweet breath composed their perfume lost take these again and he's like are you are you honest like you for real dude you really gonna do this right now <laughs> like it's such a weird interaction yeah and it's like very poetic and yes in her rejection and then his response is just so like <laughs> what <laughs> it's like such a confusing bit for me so I'm I'm kind of curious I think well I, I think also I always go back to this in Hamlet because I feel like nobody talks about this but the letter that Polonius reads to everyone Hamlet's letter to Ophelia that's like doubt truth to be a liar but never doubt I love because I always think of that as Hamlet writing to Ophelia be like after he sees the ghost Mm -hmm. like crazy shit is going down in my brain but I love you and like please don't forget that and I always take it as like one of the great tragedies of this play that that's never that that letter isn't like taken to heart or like mm -hmm. that it's sort of yeah just being one of the one of you know in a pile of his love letters or whatever but that to me is like the touchstone or that is supposed to be like the touchstone for Ophelia and it's sort of exposed to everybody and made into like this cheap sentiment thing. Um, and then, and then it like, it happens in their dialogue is that he's like, you know, he says all the thing about like her beauty and her honesty. And then he's like, I did love you. And she's like, yeah, I, you made me believe so. And he's like, you shouldn't have believed me. I didn't love you. And you, you just imagine him like handing her back that exact letter that says like, never doubt that I love you. Right. And it's just like, I mean, some the, one of the things that always really smacks me in the face in it too, though, is right at the beginning of, you know, I, okay, I have all of these love letters of yours. I pray you now receive them. And we're still in like a slightly stilted beginning place there. But then, no, not I, I never gave you aught. One verse line, two really quick sentences. How do we, what do we make of I never gave you aught? It, I mean, it feels to me like a, don't, don't, don't do this right now. Please don't do this right now. I don't want to do this right now. <laughs> For me, that's how it feels just because also like we have in it, the uh in the first folio it's no no not I I never gave you aught mm -hmm. and you know or it's you know no not I but the, the no no for me it, it feels like a stutter you know and, and it feels like mm. 
it's been caught by surprise and and no no not I I never gave you aught is you mm-hmm. know 10 syllables so it feels like he sort of is startled into a love scene and then is like uh uh, uh no uh, I can't no no that's um, nice that's helpful there's so there's a whole bunch of different just just to keep our brains churning forward obviously there's we've gotten away with not um you know, not naming a specific choice that binds us to one thing and not another for Hamlet so far in terms of, does he know they're there? When does he know they're there? There are opportunities where we do have to make specific choices. And one of them is where's your father. And obviously some productions use that line as the opportunity to, oh, that's where Hamlet realizes they're there. But I think that it can also be an opportunity in the same vein as, ha, are you honest? It can also be an opportunity to ask her the direct question to see if she lies to you. Yeah, you know what I the, mean? It's like, the, the Rosengild test, you know? Yeah, that he's, it, it you know. can be, it can be. That's an offering for it. Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. I also think like, this is, I'm, I'm kind of pivoting a little bit. So, mm-hmm. but but like, yeah, I, I think that that's a really great and helpful reading and I, and I wanna, wanna try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but- I also want to talk about Isabel's offering kind of at the beginning of like the nunnery as being like a place that, um, you know, you could go if you were with child and like the language that we had in the last scene of like unpregnant and all this, like this stuff about pregnancy. And then like, you know, one of the first sort of like the the first thing he says after get thee to a nunnery is why wouldst thou be a breeder of sinners? You know, like I think it's like we would, I think we need to have a, a conversation about pregnancy um, in this play. Yeah. Specifically with regard to their relationship. Um, For sure. For sure. Because here's the thing is we've been, we've been flirting with that reading this whole time. And I think that Isabel's very passionate about it, which is persuasive to me, but I think, uh, I think then it invites a bunch of other conversations or a bunch of other questions that need to be answered. Like, all right, well, like, <laughs> How far along are we? Does Hamlet know? It seems likely, but also what are, you know, like, where is that, where is that knowledge sitting between them? If that is knowledge. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it reads as he knows, because he's like, why, why would you want to bear a child of, of mine, (laughs) you know, like a man like me, of a man like me. And then he's like, like, I, I, I wish how could you want to bear a child? Like, I don't even want to be born. Like, how could you want to like bear the child of someone as horrible as me? And then he like lists all of his greatest like sins and flaws. And then at the end of that speech asks her the, where is your father? Like the test question. Cause it almost feels like he says all this stuff and they're just like standing there looking at each other. And then he's just sort of like, he wants, it feels like the, where's your father there after that speech, mini speech. Mm-hmm. feels like a I want so badly to tell you like if if you tell me the truth I'll tell you <laughs> you know like I'll that's what it feels like to me and again like I also just like love Zoe so much and I, I love these both these characters so much and it feels they're they're both so manipulated in so many ways that the, the, yeah. you know, the part of me that like wants to believe in love and wants to believe in yeah. justice like wants there to be some element of truth and connection between them that gets pulled away by everyone else 
I but do also think I, I recognize yeah. that that might not be true. No, I do. I think that's helpful. But I but I do also think that that that, that there are ways of I, th- I think that's true. And there are risks in the scene where we have to see risks being taken and then falling short. You know what I mean? Of like the where's your father? Like, I don't know. Talk to me about at home, my Lord Zoe. Like if you take that as an opportunity to think about it and then lie and then have to lie. Like, how does that feel? Well, it, it, the question just like pulls the rug out from under her. Mm. It's like they're in the middle of a very intense thing about other things, especially if she's pregnant. Again, where that knowledge is, do they both know it? Have they both acknowledged it to each other? It, you know, spoken or not, is it just like a thing they both are aware of? And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, you know, to me, to me it reads as like, I know from Hamlet I mean to me it reads yeah it, he's like I fucking know and she's like hey, 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 fuck like I like yeah and and it's like she in that moment she chooses her father mm-hmm. that's sort of what it reads as to me in that moment it's not so it's not even that she's trying to lie to him like I don't even think she thinks he would believe it it's just like I agree like this is where my loyalties lie now Mm. it's sort of like a confession in that way for sure and Mm. I think it it, like it has it feels so much about safety too you know like because like if we do take this interpretation that they are both also like aware that she is pregnant or like was recently pregnant you know the first thing she does is hand back the letters and so he's like oh okay like so we aren't gonna do this like and then you know and then he's he does the thing where he's like do you really want to bear the child of a sinner and she's like oh okay if you feel that way like yeah I'll, I'll go with my dad then you know right. like it, right. it feels like they're like they were both trying to test each other mm-hmm. and everybody fails and everybody yeah. fails because, yeah yeah it's this fucked up and I so agree with you Julia like I want the love scene like I know <laughs> yeah. that I know that it's horrible but I just want like you can't have you can't have the shitty fucked upness like darkness of it without that yeah you have to really love each other for it to hurt yes also like because as we've said there's only two women in this play it does such a disservice to Gertrude and to Ophelia if the Hamlet does not choose to actually love them and care about them it makes it's just sort of like well then why are they here like why not just cut them right exactly And I think, I think that the thing that I, I also want to hold on to is that it doesn't, love doesn't neutralize cruelty. Both can be present. I think that's really important is that to say that these people love each other doesn't mean that mistakes are not made. It just means that mistakes are made out of love. And that is actually the most painful version of the play. And to me, I mean, that's that's sort of what I'm always in pursuit of. So I'm happy that we've got here because it is a both and, but it, it's a both and it's the most costly personal version of the scene, I think, yeah. is the one where we come in to have a love scene and then, and everybody fails. And like, and we wanted to have a love relationship and, and the world is not set up to support it. And also because of the personal pressures that these two people are under, they make, they hurt each other. Like Hamlet makes choices that hurt her. And like, obviously this is only the beginning of the slippery slope. Somebody's going to get stabbed in a minute. You know what I mean? And like, and it ruins her life. And so, but, but, Bad choices out of love is way better than love already being not in the room. Yeah, totally. Which is also why I, I really struggle 
and it's not to say it's always done the same way, but I do mm. really struggle with the choice that I think is most often made where Hamlet is so violent with her in this. Yeah. I think we do need to address that aspect of it because yeah. it's not written in the language, but I understand why why a lot of people interpret it that way. Yeah. Um, as something where he's physically just like tossing her around and grabbing her. I mean, this scene is often do done as an assault. Yes. Um, but reading it and just looking at the language, it was so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, Ophelia really does have the upper hand for a lot of it, as far as like we, as we keep saying, we meet Hamlet and he's already at this crisis point talking about suicide. Right. And Ophelia walks into this having to break up with him and then, you know, un, sort of unwillingly like thinks she's walking into a breakup scene and actually she's walking into a scene where somebody's in a crisis and yeah. she has to figure out how to navigate that. And she can't, and she can't help the way that she wishes she could help. Yeah. Like they can't help each other. They're like structurally unable to help each other. It's yeah. so interesting too, because that makes me want to talk about the like sort of weird ending of the scene, like the way that it kind of spirals out of control. Because like he says, like I give thee this plague for thy dowry, like be thou, but but it's not. It, it feels more like a prophecy than a, than a plague to me. He's like, be, like, even if you are the most pure, even if we hadn't had sex, even if we hadn't had sex, like mm -hmm. it, it feels like a statement of like all the sins that I'm remembering as I'm looking at you, like everything that like I think is despicable about me. And like, I'm seeing myself, like I'm seeing my uncle reflected in myself, like all of those horrible things, like th the terrible thing that's happened to me the thing of my fate that has taken control of me was not rooted in a mistake that I made. My father's death and like my fate to kill my uncle would have happened even if we hadn't had sex. So it feels like even if you are the most pure that you could possibly be from here on out, you can't escape your fate. You can't escape the horror of the world. Like it, it feels like that mm -hmm. to me. That's what that line feels like. And then he's like, get out of here, go. And she's like, oh my God, like have heavenly powers restore him. And it's like, there is no restoration from this. No. And I have two things that I want to talk about, about how the scene comes apart at the end before I want to touch base with Isabel for maybe a little bit of jam about pregnancy town mm -hmm. and about our interpretation of that collectively as we're kind of moving into it. But first, I think you're absolutely right, Julia, about be that was chaste as, as chaste as Isis Pierce, no, thou shalt not escape calumny. I think that is the read of that. There's a bunch of false exits in this scene. And then we have one of, okay, I'm out. And heavenly powers restore him. It, you know, there is, Ophelia's language makes us feel like she thinks you're crazy. Or at least like on another plane, uh, you know, on another plane of emotion, a, a changed man at the very least. And then you're out, you're like on your way to the door and then you careen back here for, for the, for the makeup speech <laughs> and talk to me about that because because this is the speech about when you say you you mean women and mm -hmm. i think it's this in particular that leads polonius to say he needs to talk to his mother yeah so I mean, yeah because this is what leads us into we will have no more marriage just if you have any particular thoughts about why he has to come back into the room to say this i mean i think it's this is a terrible thing to say. 
Excellent. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Zoe is going to want to punch me. But like heavenly powers restore him feels like such a mom thing to say. Oh, <laughs> you know? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But like, I want to, I want to justify it of just sort of like, it's such a like, oh God, protect, like, protect, like bring him back to the, the boy I once knew that it like, and I, and I mean, Gertrude uses a lot of that language later in the act and we'll, we'll hear it and talk about it more then. But like, it just feels like if you just said like, you, ha- you have to get out of here. We can't get married. Like, I, I don't love you anymore. Like, no matter what you do, you'll never escape your fate. And then to hear the love of your life instead say like, oh God, please save him. It must be like, oh, okay. So, so you are going to become a nun. Cool. You're already a nun. Like it, it's, it's, I think it's just like super triggering. And also the, the thing of restore him, mm-hmm. I think is like super upsetting because it's just sort of like I can never go back to the way that I was you know like there's there is no world in which I could go back to not knowing the things that I know now and Um, that's right that's really helpful because it helps us continue to remember that all of these people who think they know you don't know what has changed you yeah and the fact is like yeah Mm -hmm. and also like the, the this leading of the like uh, you know, I have heard your paintings, like God hath given you one face and you make yourselves another and like being restored, like it immediately connects to Gertrude, obviously, even without the sort of like <laughs> my horrible interpretation that I put on it. Um, I think that's good. But, but it, it is this sort of like, you know, who also can't be restored. Like my mother can't go back and not have fucked my uncle. Like my mother, like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's There's, you going, I wish yeah. the heavenly powers would restore a lot of things, but yeah. like, <laughs> and it's just sort of like, of course I can't marry you. Like, how can I think about marriage when the entire, like the, the, the sanctity of marriage has been destroyed for me, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you can't like, it's like, he's sitting down and being like, yeah, I just like don't believe in marriage after my parents got divorced. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just like, I can't like, how can you possibly be like, not not that <laughs> yeah we can't yeah we can't go back now we can, you want us to go back we can't go back if right. that's what that speech is to me I think that's really helpful because whatever that energy is it, what you just described is this you know is black and white it's like I was one guy now I'm another guy because the world is different now in this way that is unexpressible to everyone but you and the totality of that of yeah. the al- almost the laughter of it of like how could you imagine that we could ever be restored to how yeah. it was however that reads yeah is, is received by Ophelia in the way that gives us this speech yeah it's oh, terrible and, yeah it's terrible and it's like how like never doubt that I love you but I can never marry you because like I, I it it means nothing to me anymore Oh, this boy. So that's really helpful in terms of how you exit the scene. And I think it's, I I think that's really helpful. And the hook of her line to bring you back in for that helps me with that ending. Zoe, do you have any thoughts or feelings in particular about this speech? Because you do kind of get to be alone for it because Claudius and Polonius hang back until the speech is over. And so you get this moment and I mean, depending on how it was staged or handled by a production, it could be a moment of actual solitude with the audience and like shell shock and 
real genuineness. And if you have been at least peripherally aware of being watched this whole time, I don't know, like, it feels to me like the closest we get to Ophelia in her sane mind, this. And I don't know how sane it is. <laughs> and I don't know how sane it is. Talk to Just me about that. Thought, um, the, in the David Tennant version of this, Mariah Gale plays Ophelia and she's mm. an actor that I love and she's just incredible and she does this scene like just totally shattered she's like a total wreck on the ground and it's amazing and I remember watching it on YouTube and in the comments somebody had written like careful darling she's not crazy yet or something like that and that got me thinking and I was like well but is she, isn't she though a little bit? <laughs> like, I feel like this is sort of, I don't want to say the beginning of her transition into madness because I don't think that's what it is. I think her dad being killed is like, that is pretty much the catalyst for, you know, her losing her shit and grieving to the point of insanity. But I do think it's interesting that she's commenting on somebody losing his mind when mm-hmm. she is going that way herself. I think it is really interesting. I do too. Literally and- the last sane speech we hear from her starts with, oh, what a no, oh, what a no- <laughs> well, It's so bleak. It, it's so bleak. It's so bleak, but it's also like, it fits right into what we've been talking about of what even is madness. It's like what we're talking about so far, It we haven't seen real crazy yet and we will. But right mm-hmm. now, what we're all we've been talking about when we say madness is a really heightened emotional state. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, she's in a really heightened emotional state here, no matter what. And a couple of lines really rung out to me. And I just want to say them of, of I really heard the observed of all observers mm-hmm. at, in a way that I never have, especially after everything we've been talking about, about being watched and being watched forever. And like, and also Hamlet's quality as a watcher, as an observer <laughs> of things, you know, it's a really apt um, piece of phrasing and, I mean, there's so much good poetry in this speech, but it's also just really shrewd. Well, that's what it made me think of. Like, they've both just been watched this whole time. And as we know, Hamlet has, I mean, he's the prince, so he's exactly. always watched. But how she now feels to be in that position with him, there is this sort of weird, like, yeah, we're in it together in a weird way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to give a character who is going to go mad language describing madness in a much more vivid and lucid way than anybody else ever will in the play. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what do you make Zoe of to have seen what I've seen, see what I see? That's my favorite. That, what I, we... That's just like the best line ever, right? It, I, yeah. It's so haunting and disturbing and horrific yeah. and sad. And it's like, oh, you don't even know what's coming. No, you sweet babe, you don't know. It does feel always for a minute because we know it does feel always like she can sort of telescope into the future there for a second. Right. Yeah. Like a prophecy of, yeah, she's, she's seeing, she's seeing that it's not even close to over. It's It's like, it's so fuck considering Hamlet just set, like gave her this curse of like, like no matter how perfect and pure and innocent you are, you won't escape what's about to come. You know, like, yeah, they, they're just like, it's it's almost like that's their marriage. 
their marriage is like, neither of us is going to fucking live, <laughs> you know, like yeah, neither of us yes. is going to make it out of this sane or alive. You know? And also like, I mean, I know we're way ahead of ourselves, but while we're telescoping into the future for a second, the thing that the image that comes into my mind is like, you're going to jump into her grave and hold her body and scream. I loved Ophelia. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we're going to go all the way. So I don't know. It does feel like for a single second. And I, I love this is a moment that I would handle, like, I don't know, really deliberately, uh, if we were staging it, is like, I really do feel it's necessary for Ophelia in whatever state she's in to have this sudden lucid moment right to the audience and then to sit in it for a second before the kind of clattering footsteps of here come the men and then the mechanism of the plot is going to take over again of like, see what I see is between her and us, her vision and ours. I love that, Emma. Yeah, I think that's so brilliant. And, and it's also about, I feel like a lot of the speech is about like her realizing that it's possible for somebody so brilliant, someone like Hamlet, so brilliant, Mm. so, you know, like has everything, has Mm. the world to become what he's become. It's like, if it can happen to him, I mean, we meet him at a point in the play where it's already happened. So we haven't seen him before, Yeah, but it's this sort of weird thing like we almost meet him after the beginning of his fall of his descent yeah but it's almost like the person she's describing we haven't seen before that's exactly right the fact that she is taking in like what he's become and that it's possible for somebody to become this from you know this incredible courtier soldier scholar mm-hmm. brilliant mind mm-hmm. it's terrifying it's like no one is safe it's like, if this can happen to him, no one is safe. And I feel like nobody thinks of it that way because when you think of Hamlet, you think of- He's already Hamlet a crisis. In yeah. the play. Yeah. But the point is that's not who he has always been. Um, I also- You get like, that from her. Mm-hmm. And like, Zoe, you read it so beautifully. The, the thing that struck me when you were reading it is the line that sucked the honey of his music vows. And it's like, you know, Isabel had that really, it was telling us so brilliantly about how like the com- like the marriage has already happened in that like they've already had sex, you know, like, and that is like, was sort of marriage and they just needed to like say it out loud. And so it is this like, this like honeyed private wedding, this like intimacy mm-hmm. that they have had has by the death of his father and by everything that's transpired been made so public and like then everything like they haven't been able to be in sync since like the the sweet bells jangled out of time and harsh it is Mm -hmm. this like suddenly nothing can be right anymore because we cannot communicate I've been forbidden to communicate but also like they aren't mourning in the same way yet yeah. And then, and by the time they are mourning in the same way, it's too late and she's dead and mad and, you know. And that line too sticks out to me because it goes back to like the love between them for me, this, the like sweet bells jangled out of time and harsh. It's like this sweet, precious mm-hmm. thing is not, can't be right in this fucked up world. It's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, the trash. And it's it's so awful since we know too that he's like nothing nothing's been the same since my dad's dead, Ophelia, and you can't possibly understand that. Like, and I wish I could make you understand it. And then literally in the next scene, 
you know, and it, and it isn't commented on, but it's like, well, now she can understand it. Now her dad's dead too. <laughs> like, And it's you know? your fault. The and fact that fault. even yeah. something, even something that could be common that could be shared because this is a tragedy it's actually something that will drive you further apart you know but anyway before that is all really really beautiful and useful and is going to go into the soup in a really really delicious way people who still love each other who can't be together is the saddest version of anything ever and so i think that's i think that's all really really brilliant and in just in terms of practical stuff savvy on Claudius's part, savvy on Polonius's part of, okay, well, he isn't crazy and I better get him out of here really fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been looking over, I've been looking over his Claudius's entrance speech and, it, and it, there's a lot of double negatives, which first off just drives me nuts. And then, you know, I was, I was looking over his fifth line of like, I do doubt the hatch and uh, I do doubt the hatch and the disclose will be some danger. And I was like, wait, he, does that mean he doubts the hatch and the disclose will be some danger or he fears the hatch and the disclose will be some danger? That's <laughs> the second one. Therefore, I'm going to send him to England. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then after Polonius has the idea of... Uh, of Give um, him to his mom. Give Yeah, set him to his mother's, you know, displeasure. Um, Claudius sort of concludes... I think, I, think I think it's sort of unspoken, but he's saying, as I, as I said before, he's not mad, but he could be mad. He could go mad real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that he's. I, it's it's such a weird thing to be like. He doesn't love. You know, love. No madness. No, he's depressed, mm-hmm. and that's not good. That could be bad. So I'll give him a job to do. Let me talk. To, okay, so l- let me let me put him before his mother, and if and if that doesn't go well, then send him to England. Okay, because it would suck if he went mad. <laughs> It, yeah. It really well, suck. and and of course, Claudius is having a political strategy moment with Polonius here, basically. But as for what you really think, we're going to get it in a scene or two. You know what I mean? And what this means for you, we're going to get it in a, in a little bit. But uh, do you, are, are you referring to the, the, the revelation of the murder? I'm referring to Claudius's particular kind of concern about how real Hamlet's madness is. Yeah. Of just like of Hamlet's mental state as like re your conscience. You know what I mean? I, I mean, so I will, we'll, I will definitely. We're going to get that. there, but. Um, I wonder how strong the choice is to connect the two. Well, you know, that makes sense. Cause in the next scene, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reveal a card. Yes. Um, so yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just keeping eyes on it in terms of where you, where you think Hamlet is, is an evolving concern in act three. Yeah. And- uh, also, uh, yeah, there's also the curiosity of, of yeah. What, what, what do I gain by getting him out of the country? Exactly. Like yeah. what is that? Why is it good for you to not have him right here? That's an evolving concern. And I'm going to put a pin in it because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. Before we roll on, because we have to roll on and we'll do a nice big swath before we stop again. Isabel, do you want to just lay out pregnancy stuff for us while we're in Hamlet and Ophelia town so that we can all have it before we move on? Yeah. So the pregnancy, um, 
I think is super textually supported. Um, and it starts really early. Any scene that has Ophelia in it, the characters are use words like conception and pregnant, and there's obsessed with her virginity. And it's very often in Shakespeare that like this much obsession with virginity means that the virginity is gone or will go away by the end of the play. And so I think that's kind of our first tip off um, about this whole situation. And then uh, the, it, I, I think the easiest way to kind of like track the pregnancy is to work backwards. So I, I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but of course I, I started this whole thing with talking about Rue um, and the Rue the, being the abortion sort of drug of the era, which is a thousand percent what it was, um, is just, and she, it's the only plant that she gives to herself. It's just so indicative. And then all the songs and her madness scene about like this guy came in her window and fucked her and then he just left that's exactly what happens to her um and then I also think that um you know and we've been talking about this in the scene in 3-1 um that you can you can feel the love between Hamlet and Ophelia and it's it's palpable and it's a great love that we don't see the full extent of um which I think Shakespeare does very very intentionally but like to have that level of closeness and intimacy because it's it's an intimacy um I think indicates sex as well but um but of course uh, the nunnery in in this scene is is the big like textual they had sex like giant like red flag here. Um, and so uh, I think that that puts us firmly in pregnancy town, as you described it a couple minutes ago. Um, and, uh, but the question of course, is then like, you know, how pregnant is she? Um, I think the answer, if you just look at like the facts of the play, the facts of the play are that Hamlet was away, at, has, has been away at school probably for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, but he came back in December when his father died. Um, so let's say it was in December. It's like six weeks at this point. It's yeah, like I mean, not very it's like, much. Yeah. It's like February or March now, you know, or it could have mm -hmm. been, it could have it been earlier. Um, uh, no, 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 because uh, the murder was probably in November. So, you know, if Hamlet came home, you know, so. The most is like four months. Yeah, I, th I think so. But it depends on, you know, like how much does Hamlet come home from school? Like there was a direct boat line in between Wittenberg and Elsinore. So like possible. That's helpful. That's helpful. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I think that I'm happy to, for the, for the purposes of this, I'm happy to live in in pregnancy town, if that is something that feels like a complicating factor in a good way um, for Zoe and Julia, in terms of like, this is a real thing that's between us and we're both aware of it and it can't be spoken, but it's between us. Does that feel juicy I, to you? I like, I like that, that feels juicy. I mean, I don't know if I can make a decision as to, I mean, I can't make a decision as to what Hamlet knows, but right. I think whether or not Hamlet knows there is you know it's there <laughs> like they know they know they've had sex so I don't know I think that yeah. it's very present for both of them whether or not it's concretely like whether or not Hamlet concretely knows it's like happening right whether or not he like kisses her stomach as he runs out of the room <laughs> like we don't really know <laughs> like uh, oh my god murder the murder the director who does that <laughs> 
Yeah. We're doing it. I, doing I it's just... literally us. The the poster for this podcast production <laughs> is Zoe and I doing a prom pic while I'm holding her like nine month pregnant belly. <laughs> oh my God, get out. <laughs> I have seen a production of this that was like heavily influenced by a dramaturg that I really admire, uh, where Ophelia was visibly pregnant kind of throughout the entire play. And it was it was directed by Joe Hodge. Like it was a pretty big deal of a production. Um, and it was uh, extremely powerful, especially in the mad scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's so intense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Very I'm so cool. I'm so into it. I, I'm so yeah. behind that. I think I'm like it's it. it it seems like a waste of all of like Hamlet even has like all these weird this weird language about conception like it feels mm-hmm. like a waste to not I mean know. it's all it's all over the play and also like yeah. the ultimate I mean you know metaphorically in Shakespeare all always like the idea of whether or not there will be a future is so often tied into the idea of whether or not the courtships will be fertile and the idea that there is a baby and then its mother dies and thereby also the baby dies is a really profound expression of like no there is there is no future in the world of this play for these people and and also that the father doesn't think that there is a future for him in life (laughs) yeah I mean no it's it's there's a there's a lot of legs on that idea but um but identifying where it kind of breathes out of the text is super helpful. Okay, we're moving on because we have to. Thank you for all of that juice. Um, let's get Player Town in here and let's roll on. You ready, Joe? <laughs> ready, baby. Ready. Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you trippingly on the tongue. But if you mouth it, as many of our players do, I had as leaf the town criers spoke my lines. Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand thus, but use all gently, for in the very torrent tempest, and as I may say, whirlwind of your passion, you must acquire and beget a temperance that may give it smoothness. Mm, mm, I warrant your honor. Be not too tame, neither, but let your own discretion be your tutor. Suit the action to the word, the word to the action, with this special observance that you o'erstep not the modesty of nature. For anything so or done is from the purpose of playing, whose end both at the first and now was and is to hold as twere the mirror up to nature, to show virtue her own feature, scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time his form and pressure. Now, this overdone or come tardy off, though it makes the unskillful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve. And let those that play your clowns speak no more than is set down for them. For there be of them that will make themselves laugh, to set on some quantity of barren spectators to laugh too, though in the meantime, some necessary question of the play be then to be considered. That's villainous and shows a most pitiful ambition in the fool that uses it. Go make you ready. How now, my lord, will the king hear this piece of work? And the queen too, and that presently. Did the players make haste? Will you two help to hasten them? Aye, my lord. What ho, Horatio! Here, sweet lord, at your service. Horatio, thou art e'en as just a man as e'er my conversation coped withal. Oh, my dear lord. Nay, do not think that I flatter. For what advancement may I hope from thee that no revenue hast by thy good spirits? For thou hast been as one in suffering all that suffers nothing. A man that fortune buffets and rewards has ta'en with equal things. Give me that man that is not passion's slave and I will wear him in my heart's core. Aye, in my heart of heart as I do thee. Something too much of this. There is a play tonight before the king. One scene of it comes near the circumstance which I have told thee of my father's death. I prithee, when thou seest the act afoot, observe my uncle. If his occulted guilt do not itself unkennel in one speech, 
It is a damned ghost that we have seen. Well, my lord, if he steal aught whilst this play is playing and scape detecting, I will pay the theft. They're coming to the play. I must be idle. Get you a place. How fares our cousin Hamlet? Excellent, to faith of the chameleon's dish. I eat the air, promise crammed. I have nothing with this answer, Hamlet. These words are not mine. No, nor mine now. My lord, you played once at the university, you say? That I did, my lord. And I was accounted a good actor. (laughs) What did did you enact? Uh, I did enact Julius Caesar. I was killed in the capital. (laughs) Brutus killed me. (laughs) It was a brute part of him to kill so capital a calf there. (laughs) Be the players ready? Aye, my lord. They stay upon your patience. Come hither, my dear Hamlet. Sit by me. No, mother. Here's metal more attractive. Oh, oh, do you mark that? Lady, shall I lie on your lap? No, my lord. I mean my head upon your lap. Aye, my lord. Do you think I meant country matters? I think nothing, my lord. That's a fair thought to lie between maid's legs. What is, my lord? Nothing. You are merry, my lord. Who, I? Aye, my lord. Oh, God, what should a man do but be merry? For look you how cheerfully my mother, my mother looks, and my father died within two hours. Nay, it is twice two months, my lord. <laughs> so long. Oh, heavens, died two months ago and not forgotten yet? Then there's hope a great man's memory may outlive his life half a year. Okay, tiny pause before we get the play in here. Um, just a couple of things about that. I just want to say that that obviously the speech at the top of this uh, scene is famous and beautiful, but something struck me that is particularly special, which is that we've already had Hamlet as actor. We've had Hamlet as playwright. Now we get Hamlet as director. And it's one of my most favorite moments of like, obviously it's, it's, we've talked about Shakespeare putting the language about theater making into Hamlet's mouth and how kind of special that is in this context, but it's really like every single piece. And I just wanted to shout that out because he's all over the, um, <laughs> yes, he's not a stage manager. Um, he's the dramaturg okay, later in the scene though, because he analyzes it. He, he totally is. Hamlet is everyone. It's incredible. Horatio, where you been, baby? I was so um, conscious of Horatio's absence yesterday in Act Two. It is so weird that here he comes back and we get this text from Hamlet about like, what a good guy he is to the point of like too much emotion. And then we have to set it aside. (laughs) What do we make of that? Just briefly, just the fact that like, and well, someone for you to connect with about the actual secret, right? I mean, I've been aware of, you have no one, right? I mean, th- those were my, of course, thoughts is that like, yeah. all I've been doing is testing my oldest friends. <laughs> and um, the the sad truth of it is that there's only pretty much three people I can trust. Horatio, Marcellus and Bernardo, <laughs> right? Is it Bernardo who's yes. there? Yeah. It's, yes, it's Bernardo. Yeah, it's only three people who've sworn their secrecy to me and who have seen the same ghost that I've seen. Um, yeah, so and so after like, everything that we've just done, for one of them yeah. to walk back in, or have they, which we never, <laughs> which we never asked, but I've seen many productions where Hamlet's the only one who sees him, right? Who knows? Yeah, 
Totally. Yes. Who knows? Uh, A couple of other small things, but I'm going to excise them for the moment, except for this, after everything that we just moved through with Hamlet and Ophelia, this run of sex jokes is an interesting choice. (laughs) So you, I mean, our hearts are broken. We're out here being a fuck boy. She's probably carrying your child. Is this a great time to joke about vaginas? Yeah. Why did, uh, was there a better time? Expand on that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, uh, I'm I'm confused. (laughs) Why is the... (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Why, why is the, why is the, the choice to, I mean, it, it, it isn't the choice to make fun of her almost in the, in a light way, or at least to, to, it's an odd run. And obviously once again, you're being looked at almost certainly. I mean, you're being looked at by your mother who you decide not to sit with You're you know, I mean like Mm -hmm. what, and, and Zoe too, how do you receive this series of jokes? My favorite thing she says is I think nothing, my Lord. It's just like, you're going to do what you want to do. Yep. I can't stop you. Nobody can. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it's this thing of like, you know, okay. (laughs) Hamlet, perhaps like whether or not he feels this is, you know, but perhaps it's the thing of like, well, I've done my duty. I like, I told her to get out of here. I told her that like, whatever happens, I love her um like that's my due diligence I guess and 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 it is the sort of thing that I feel like we talked about uh with act two where it's like he he does get carried away a little and like I don't know for me it feels sort of like god it's so nice to like have a good time even if it's fucking fake as shit (laughs) like you know well yeah yeah it's so nice to get lost in that buoyant energy even if it's a lie Mm mm-hmm and and the yeah. like the adrenaline of like I'm gonna fucking find out tonight. Tonight's the night I find out whether or not I have been the victim of of seeing the devil or whether or not I have to kill my uncle. You know. And to so Ophelia, like, like cool, we just broke up, and you're you're married, my lord. Cool, cool, cool. All right, here we go. <laughs> right. I mean, feels... I think that's exactly it. Is that on... you, you continue? Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know, I think that's exactly it, that on the one hand, it's like, this is flirting happening. And it's incredibly, I mean, it's incredibly incongruous, given what's just happened. But I think the adrenaline thing is key. I think that's huge. I think it's, I think it's that it's that an enormous thing is about to happen. Yeah. I also do want to say, like, when that this is the closest he gets to telling her. Which is like, oh God, what should a man do but be married by look for look you how cheerfully my mother looks. My father died within two hours, you know, like, and then she's like, well, it wasn't two hours. And he's like, oh my God, wow. Like how nice it must be to be fucking remembered like four months after you've died. Like what a nice life, you know, it, this is the closest we get to it. And it's yes. interesting that that confession happens in such a public place. Mm-hmm. I, I also- and it's that thing of like, it's the spy thing of like it's actually safer if you're if you meet in a bar that's full of people than if you meet in like a totally empty bar. You're you're less likely to be overheard when there's a ton of people around than if you're alone. I, I also just wanna I just wanna put out there also. So um, you know if everyone in court thinks that Hamlet is mad, whatever that means to that particular courtier, um, it gives Hamlet like immense freedom to just do and say whatever the fuck he wants because everyone thinks he's crazy so he can, he can just he can make sex jokes in the middle of court i don't think he's probably done that before you know because and and so that there's a kind of the 
if the madness is all feigned, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but if it is, it's brilliant because it allows Hamlet to act with complete and utter freedom that he's never had before. And I think that I think that's brilliant. And I think that what it's helpful for us as we move forward is that the net effect of that is a release of adrenaline, like a release of tension for Hamlet and a heightening of tension for everyone else. And I think that those two things happen on like a vector where every time Hamlet experiences more freedom from that, everybody else has like more of a stick up their ass. You know what I mean? Because it's like everybody is just like, oh, this is a lot. And obviously, speaking of things being a lot, here comes this play. So let's move into it. I think for the purposes of now, I will read the dumb show thing so that we know what's happening. So moving ahead, the trumpet sounds, dumb show follows. Enter a king and a queen very lovingly, the queen embracing him and he her. She kneels and makes show of protestation unto him. He takes her up and and declines his head upon her neck. She lies him down on a bank of flowers. She, seeing him asleep, leaves him. Anon comes in another man, takes off his crown, kisses it, pours poison in the sleeper's ears, and leaves him. The queen returns, finds the king dead, makes passionate action. The poisoner, with some three or four, come in again, seem to condole with her. The dead body is carried away. The poisoner woos the queen with gifts. She seems harsh a while, but in the end, accepts his love. Player's exit. What means this, my lord? Mary, this is Mitch Malico. It means mischief. Like the show imports the argument of the play. We shall know by this fellow. The players cannot keep counsel. They'll tell all. Will it tell us what the show meant? Aye, or any show that you will show him. Be not you ashamed to show. He'll not shame to tell you what it means. You are not. You are not. I'll mark the play. For us and for our tragedy, here stooping to your clemency, we beg your hearing patiently. Is this a prologue or the posy of a ring? Is brief, my lord. As woman's love. Full thirty times hath Phoebus' cart gone round, Neptune's salt wash and Tellus orbed ground, and thirty dozen moons with borrowed sheen about the world have times twelve thirties been. Since love our hearts and hymen did our hands unite commutual in most sacred bands. So many journeys may the sun and moon make us again count or ere love be done. But woe is me, you are so sick of late, so far from cheer and from your former state, that I distrust you. Yet, though I distrust, discomfort you, my lord, it nothing must. Where love is great, the littlest doubts are fear. Where little fear grows great, great love grows there. Faith, I must leave thee, love, and shortly too, my operant powers their functions leave to do, and thou shalt live in this fair world behind, honored, beloved, and haply one as kind, for husband shalt thou. Oh, confound the rest, such love must needs be treason in my breast. In second husband let me be accursed, None wed the second, but who killed the first. That's Wormwood. The instances that second marriage move are base respects of thrift, but none of love. A second time I kill my husband dead when second husband kisses me in bed. I do believe you think what now you speak, but what we do determine oft we break. What to ourselves in passion we propose, the passion ending doth the purpose lose. <clears throat> 
Our wills and fates do so contrary run that our devices still are overthrown. Our thoughts are ours, their ends none of our own. So think thou wilt no second husband wed, <laughs> but die thy thoughts when thy first lord is dead. Nor earth to give me food, nor heaven light. Sport and repose lock from me day and night. Both here and hence pursue me lasting strife. If once a widow, ever I be wife. She should break it now. Tis deeply sworn, sweet, leave me here a while. My spirits grow dull, and fain I would beguile the tedious day with sleep. Sleep rock thy brain, and never come mischance between us twain. Madam, how like you this play? The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Oh, but she'll keep her word. Have you heard the argument? Is there no offense in it? No, no, they do but jest, poison and jest. No offense in the world. What do you call the play? The mousetrap. The play is the image of a murder done in Vienna. Gonzago is the Duke's name, his wife Baptista. You shall see anon. Tis a knavish piece of work, but what of that? Your majesty and we have free souls. It touches us not. This is Lucianus, nephew to the king. You are as good as a chorus, my lord. I could interpret between you and your love if I could see the puppets dallying. You are keen, my lord, you are keen. It would cost you a groaning to take off mine edge. Still better and worse. So you mistake your husbands. Begin, murderer, pox, leave thy damnable faces and begin. Come, the croaking raven doth bellow for revenge. Thoughts black, hands apt, drugs fit and time agreeing. Confederate season, else no creature seeing. Thou mixture rank of midnight weeds collected, with Hecat's ban thrice blasted, thrice infected, thy nature magic and dire property, unwholesome life usurp immediately. He poisons him in the garden for his estate. His name's Gonzago. You shall see anon how the murderer gets the love of Gonzago's wife. The king rises. What, frighted with false fire? How fares, my lord? Give o'er this play. Give me some light. Away. Lights! 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 Intermezzo. Okay, we'll pause there for a second, even though actually 3-2 is not done. There are five more pages of 3-2. Um, but obviously that is the right place to pause. So just for a moment. Whew. So interesting, so many interesting things. I mean, something that I just want to put on the table is like, obviously table working, this scene is really interesting because so much of the sense of it, so much of the drama of like the theater event of it is in the staging of watching people watching. You know what I mean? And so is like a lot of the tension is from checking in visually with Gertrude and Claudius too about where, about their suspense and apprehension. I just wanted to hit really quickly Hamlet and Ophelia, that section of so you mistake your husbands. That smacked me in the face there for a second. Whew. I'm not sure I've ever seen that piece of the text done. And uh, it's gnarly. Isabel, you have a feeling about that? No, I just think Ophelia gets cut out of the text too much. So this version has almost all of her lines intact. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and so you mistake your husbands is such an interesting thing too, because I don't know, I was sitting here thinking about like, even in the text that the players are performing, I was thinking about Hamlet and Ophelia hearing the text, you know, lo- like when the, I forget what it is, the line about marriage, uh, love our hearts and hymen, you know, bound our hands, that thing, the fact that sex is a marriage is in that text. And the fact that Hamlet and Ophelia are sitting there listening to that, you know, after everything that we've just discussed, it just struck my ear. So you mistake your husband's. This is also like why I don't think you need him to assault her in the previous scene because he right. doesn't verbally hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a lot. <laughs> and if he did, how could how could this scene happen? You know right. what I mean? Right. It's also yeah. like why, why would she let him sit near her? Mm-hmm. And also, if he and also, why would Polonius and Claudius not? step in to you know what I mean like I feel like there's a lot I feel like it invites a lot of questions if that's like a real physical altercation but and this scene wouldn't happen I I totally agree I think there's there's also kind of a difference and this is something that I was thinking about with the previous scene there's a difference between physical violence and emotional violence it has somewhat of the same effect but I really feel like what Hamlet is supremely effective on and we'll see that in the next couple scenes is inflicting emotional violence on the women that he loves you know uh and that love him and and that seems to be a pretty mm-hmm. profound talent that he has i just wanted to put that out there <laughs> yes about to, about to heighten in uh, gertrude land as well um Indeed. let's move on then let's move on then even though of course there's more that we could say about the players themselves and about this this thing but i just wanted to make sure that we're remembering everybody watching not just the players but obviously the sort of actual theater that's happening in the room which is also hamlet and ophelia you know what i mean and so there's actually there's just a lot of watching happening and a lot of um discomfort and trying to hide your discomfort um so lights 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 let's move forward oh good horatio i'll take the ghost's word for a thousand pound didst perceive very well, my lord. Upon the talk of the poisoning. I did very well note him. Ah, come, some music, come, the recorders. For if the king like not the comedy, why then belike he likes it not, pretty? Come, some music. Would my lord vouchsafe me a word with you? Sir, a whole history. The king, sir? Aye, what, sir, what of him? In his retirement, marvelous distempered. With drink, sir? No, my lord, with color. The queen, your mother, in most great affliction of spirit, hath sent me to you. <laughs> you are welcome. Nay, good my lord, this courtesy is not of the right breed, if it shall please you to make me a wholesome answer. Sir, I cannot. What, my lord? Make you a wholesome answer. My wit's diseased. But sir, to the matter, my mother, you say. Then thus she says, your behavior hath struck her into amazement and admiration. Oh, wonderful son that can so astonish a mother. But is there no sequel at the heels of this mother's admiration, in part? She desires to speak with you in her closet ere you go to bed. We shall obey, were she ten times our mother. Have you any further trade with us? My lord, you once did love me. And do still by these pickers and stealers. Good, my lord. What is your cause of distemper? You do surely bar the door upon your own liberty if you deny your griefs to your friend. Will you play upon this pipe? My lord, I cannot. I pray you. Believe me, I cannot. I do beseech you. I know no touch of it, my lord. It is as easy as lying. 
Govern these vintages with your fingers and thumb. Give it breath with your mouth, and it will discourse most eloquent music. Look you, these are the stops. I have not the skill. Why, look you, how unworthy a thing you make of me. You would play upon me. You would seem to know my stops. You would pluck out the heart of my mystery. You would sound me from my lowest note to the top of my compass. And there is much music, excellent boys, in this little organ. Yet you cannot you make it speak. Splud, do you think I am easier to be played upon than a pipe? Call me what instrument you will, though you can fret me. You cannot play upon me. God bless you, sir. My lord, the queen would speak with you, and presently. Do you see yonder cloud that's almost in the shape of a camel? Rather mass, and tis like a camel, indeed. Methinks it is like a weasel. Hmm, it's backed like a weasel. Or a whale. Very like a whale. Then I will come to my mother by and by. They fool me to the top of my bent. I will come by and by. I will say so. By and by is easily said. Leave me, friends. Tis now the very witching time of night when churchyards yawn and hell itself breathes out contagion to this world. Now could I drink hot blood and do such bitter business as the day would quake to look on. Soft now to my mother. Oh, heart, lose not thy nature. Let me be cruel, not unnatural. I will speak daggers to her, but use none. Okay. Lots of pretty quick little changes in dynamic there now that we're on the other side of the play. And because we had to rush past it quickly, we made a big deal out of the massiveness of this thing that you were waiting to find out. Like the whole sense in the day proceeding of like, this is where I find out my fate. Okay. You found out your fate. (laughs) You do have to kill him. And now, even after the warmth of that interaction that we built yesterday, now you have to get rid of Rosengild. Talk to me about that because they they aren't behaving notably Uh, differently than they did before. So it's painful, you know, it's painful. So talk to me about that. It's, It's a bit of, you know, like it has to be a bit of a double standard of like, I found out this incredible thing. You should be on my side now, but of course they don't know, you know, like, but also I think for me, the betrayal comes in like, uh, he is so clearly overjoyed and like justified in this moment that then they come and they're like, this is sort of my, obviously my interpretation is everything Mm. that I say, (laughs) but the, the, the idea that they're like, the queen sent us to you and he's like, oh, th- yeah, well, yeah, great. You can stay like, welcome. You can stay here with me and have fun. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, don't fuck around. Like your mom, like, like, tell us truly, like your mom wants to see you. You've behaved badly. And he's like, uh, oh, okay. I like, you know, he, he sort of expects them to like stay on his level and be like, hey, I'm in a really good mood. Let's stay here and party. Like, fuck my mom. Let's just like sit here and chill and like, have a good time and even though you don't know why I'm why I'm relieved that I'm not being courted by the devil but instead I I have to you know enact justice upon everyone in my life even that you don't know that I would expect you to celebrate with me because you're my friends but when you refuse to celebrate with me and when you attempt to hold me accountable on behalf of my mother (laughs) I realize that uh you know that's where it has to end for us yeah and they don't have to like oh sorry no, no, please. I just was struck by how they don't quite have the leniency of being a prince. 
Like Hamlet's like, come on, let's fuck around. And they're like, okay, but the queen like asked us to do something and like, it'd be fun to fuck around, but like, we can't. And then they end up, you know, spoilers, dying anyway. I feel like I, this is right around where I just lose. I don't like Hamlet as a person. And I feel like it's right around uh, now when he makes an active decision to betray Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, his friends who are like, at this point, like, all they know is the king is like, hey, if you can figure out what's wrong, it's within my power to fix it. Please tell me. And then he have a talk with Hamlet and Hamlet's like, hey, my, you know, my parents are, you know, being weird. And they're like, yeah, what's up with that? And then they're like, hey, your mom wants you? What the fuck's going on? And Hamlet's like, actually, eat shit. You're a fucking recorder. Get bent. Life's bullshit. You guys fucking suck. And then he like roasts them to death and kills them via pirates. And it's like, what an asshole. <laughs> spoon, mom. Wait, Isabel, what are you going to say? <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to say um, uh, that <laughs> I do think it's notable that Hamlet has apparently been avoiding speaking to his mother for perhaps months um, because everything that's said in the in, in the closet scene seems brand new. And that, that's a more interesting choice anyway, right? So it really seems like Hamlet does not want to talk to his mom. And I, I think I think that's, that's notable. And so then anyone who's going to try to make him talk to his mom maybe as an enemy um and then i don't i i i also I, i've said this earlier but i just think i think hamlet is is this is just my interpretation but i think i think hamlet is interested in truth and authenticity and so if you're not that at this point not worth it i have a thought about that that's all really helpful i have a weird offering to put into the soup here that came to me while julia was speaking and i was like actually this is a weird one which is that the sincerity with which Rosencrantz is like, hey, we really love you. Like, we could, like, we do love you. I feel like partly it's that, that Hamlet is like, okay, well, that's bullshit because nobody does. <laughs> so I don't. I mean, the thing is, we're coming from this day where he had that huge speech to Ophelia where he's like, I'm a piece of shit. Do not trust me or any man. And then this friend is coming up to him and being like, you're a great guy. Like, I love you. Like, we could help figure this out for you. And he's like, no, that's just like not the language he speaks anymore. I think also like I want to I want to like acknowledge what Will said and like bridge bridge the sort of like gap between defending Hamlet and also like justifying his behavior and like make sure that I'm not being like <laughs> actually you just don't understand him he's a super great guy uh but also like try to find some sort of rationale and like not just sort of decide that halfway through the scene he just like becomes a massive twat you know uh, like but I think for me the thing that like rang in my ear when you said that and also when you said your lines is the fact that literally yesterday I was like food tastes of nothing to me the world is nothing to me I look at the sun and I'm like it's nothing and you're like <laughs> but you like fucking bitches right and I'm like okay why did you laugh when I said that and then today after I've just sort of like when I'm in a good mood you're like hey man like what's your deal? We just want to know what's wrong with you. And it feels just sort of like, yeah, I tried to tell you yesterday and you fucking lost your chance, you know? Like, that's what it feels like to me is that it's like, I'm, I'm moving forward now. Yesterday was a day where I could sit down and say, like, my life is empty and here's what's happening to me. But today I have all the information and now I'm moving. Now, I'm, now I have action. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward and I don't have a place for, like, you, you, you know, you said in act two, you said our our relationship is not based on telling each other how we feel. All right, that's fine. Well, like, 
now that you want to know how I feel, I know that you don't really mean it because that's not what, that's not what Rosencrantz would say. Rosencrantz would be like, ah, nice dude. Fuck you. (laughs) I think that tracks really clean for Hamlet. And I also think that it's totally like that. It's totally valid. If Rosencrantz and Guildenstern feel like they have no idea what's going on and now they're being yelled at for no reason. And I think that that is the scene. I think that that's the scene from both directions is that Hamlet is like, you got like, no, like we could have done this yesterday, but not today. And now I have to go kill him and I'm, I'm out. And then Rose and Guild are like, I'm sorry. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, and I think that that both of those things are the same. Are 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 that's the scene. I think that's yes, totally right. For sure. I think that's totally right. But I want to hang on to this thing of Isabel's reminder to us that Hamlet has literally stopped at nothing to avoid speaking to his mother for an uncannily long amount of time. And we just have, I mean, I think one of the most sort of naturalistically weird moments in this act is what we just, uh, one of the bits we just had in the players sequence where Gertrude is like, Hamlet, sit by me. And Hamlet's like, fuck no. And like moves across the room. And so it weirdly amps up the drama of this encounter that we're going to need to go have with her. The whole lingering sense of people being like, because obviously we've also just come out of this conversation from before with Polonius being like, that kid needs to talk to his mom. And then now her being like, come talk to me. And he's like, fuck you. And then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern being like, you need to talk to your mom. And so it feels like for an, a whole act, at least all these different voices have been like, you should probably talk to your mom. He's got to talk to his mom. Your mom wants to talk to you. And so now as we're walking into this scene, I feel really like <sighs> about you talking to your mom so also we know how he deals with women in their closets so you know that's something we really do his knees <laughs> knocking together there's going to be some grabbing and some white as a sheet happening and it's going to be gnarly when hamlet drags both both of the women in this play out of the closet <laughs> in such an intense way he truly does but soft now to my mother oh heart lose not thy nature let me be cruel let me be cruel, not unnatural. I will speak daggers to her, but use none. Is such an interesting thing to say before walk on your way to talk to your mom. It's really, really heightened and intense. And obviously there's a ton of adrenaline moving through your body, but like having to say to yourself, just be mean, don't be a murderer, be direct, don't kill your mom. I mean, I mean like to me, it's the thing I've been thinking about this whole action. I was thinking about it in the get thee to an honorary scene as well, because as much as the ghost says all these things about Gertrude, he's like, don't blame your mother for this. Like, that's the thing that the ghost says in, in the speech of the, uh, in act one yep. is like, I'm going to say a lot of horrible things here, but like, you have to like kill Claudius. Don't worry Not about your mother. Her. Stop blaming <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah. And then in um in the get thee to nunnery scene he's like he he says that that one thing where he's just like everyone everyone who's married will die except for one person you know i think he's like trying to remind himself that even though most of his anger about this situation is directed at his mother his yeah. task is not to direct that so then coming out of the situation where he's like all right all right action now is time for action but also like fuck like don't kill your mom <laughs> Like all this adrenaline has to be steered towards like, not that it's this thing of, of sort of like, what kind of conversation can you have with your mother? Okay. Best case scenario. She stops having sex with Claudius, (laughs) you know? And in that case, 
like part of the reason to hate and kill Claudius is gone, mm-hmm. which is such a weird thing. That is a weird thing. Where he's just sort of like this scene, I want to keep this adrenaline going. And like, of course we know that the next thing is he's like on his way there. He's like, huh? should I do it now? Um, and then is not able to. And this idea of like, I'm not going to be able to do this unless my body is coursing with adrenaline like it is now. Yes. Um, and like the frustration of having to waste that adrenaline on a conversation, something that he is like on, on, on a philosophical argument, which is like, he's like that I can do any fucking day of the week, sit down with somebody and be like, here's what's morally right. Here is what's morally good. I could do that sans adrenaline, but to waste all this adrenaline on mm-hmm not killing a thing that I need adrenaline to do. I think that to me is like, what's so weird and frustrating about this like end of the scene. I think keeping eyes on how the body feels in terms of what you have to do is actually really helpful, even in the table work, because I think that that's like the conduit of like, we're, I mean, adrenaline is the right word. We're still working in a body. And so the idea of how this is coming out of you at this moment is really relevant because we can't know what the scene means without that. Yeah. Um, he says like, I could, I could fucking drink blood now. It's the like Miss Julie line where she's like, I could drink your blood out of your skull. Out of your skull. And it's like, he's like, oh my God, I feel so fucking vindicated. Like I could fucking drink blood. And then it's like, all right, gotta go talk to my mom about how I've been a kind of an asshole lately. Like it it just sort of like, it deflates tension in a way that enhances the tension in the room. Yes. Exactly. In a way that is counterproductive for everyone. Um, let's hold on to that and let's move forward into 3-3. I like him not, nor stands it safe with us to let his madness range. Therefore, prepare you. I, your commission, will forthwith dispatch, and he to England shall along with you. The terms of our state may not endure hazards so near us as doth hourly grow out of his brows. We will ourselves provide. Arm you, I pray you, to the speedy voyage, for we will fetters put about this fear, which now goes too free-footed. We will haste us. My lord, he's going to his mother's closet. Behind the heiress, I'll convey myself to hear the process. Thanks, dear my lord. Oh, my offense is rank. It smells to heaven. It hath the primal eldest curse upon a brother's murder. Pray can I not, though inclination be as sharp as will. My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. And like a man to double business bound, I stand and pause where I shall first begin and both neglect. What if this curse at hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow, whereto serves mercy but to confront the visage of offense? And what's in prayer but this twofold force to be forestalled ere we come to fall, or pardoned being down? Then I look up. My fault is past. But oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder. That, that cannot be. I'm still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. My crown, my own ambition, and my queen. May one be pardoned and still retain the offense? 
in the corrupted currents of this world, offenses skilled in hand may shove by justice, and us oft is seen the wicked prize itself buys out the law. But tis not so above. There is no shuffling. There the action lies in his true nature. And we ourselves compelled even to the teeth and forehead of our faults to give in evidence. What then? What rests? Try what repentance can. What can it not? Yet, what can it when one cannot repent? Oh, wretched state! Oh, bosom black as death! Oh, Lyman's soul that's struggling to be free art more engaged! Help! Angels, make a say! Bow, stubborn knees, and heart with strings of steel. Be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well. Now might I do it, Pat. Now he is a-praying, and now I'll do it. And so he goes to heaven. And so am I revenged. That would be scanned. A villain kills my father, and for that I, his foul son, do this same villain send to heaven? Why, this is higher in salary, not revenge. He took my father grossly, full of bread, with all his crimes broad-blown as flush as may. And now his audit stands, who knows, save heaven? And am I then revenged to take him in the purging of his soul when he is fit and seasoned for his passage? No. Up, sword, and now thou art more horrid, Hent. When he is drunk asleep, or in his rage, or incestuous pleasure of his bed, at game a-swearing, or about some act that has no relish of salvation in it, then trip him that his heels may kick at heaven, and that his soul may be as damned and black as hell whereto it goes. My mother stays. This physic but prolongs thy sickly days. My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. Terrific, guys. Terrific. Um, let's stop and talk about that for a second. Incidentally, I can't help but mention it. He killed my father grossly full of bread is, for my money, the funniest line in the canon. It's the best. <laughs> I've been... I've been I've been baking a lot of sourdough this week, and I've literally <laughs> been eating bread with every meal, and every time I take a bite, I'm like, no! Kills my father grossly full of bread. <laughs> well, he's just like what? Okay, okay but anyway, he killed my father grossly full of bread. Bread, the most <laughs> sinful of foods. No. <laughs> he Not filled, even when he was he doing killed, the whole thirty. Yeah, he killed my father grossly full of caviar. Just doesn't have the same ring. You can tell that this play no. probably this scene was probably written during quarantine because of. Of the way <laughs> Shakespeare had clearly refined carbs on so, so much bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because that's nonsense to the purpose, um, I have so many questions for you, Patrick. And um, I'm just going to kind of put, put them on the table <laughs> um, because this is the first moment we get Claudius alone. Yeah. And it's really the moment where I think you realize how alone he is in the play. And yeah. And where one of the things I think you realize is like, there's a decision, to, there's so many decisions to be made. There are like a thousand decisions to be made. And one of them that struck me was like, 
the release of tension, so much can be learned about how much he's holding back from how he falls apart when, when finally everybody's gone. 100%. And, right. Of this thing of like, we learn about what kind of consummate politician he is when the sort of dam breaks, which is what you did at the beginning of that speech. And I think that that's the right choice. I think that that's really strong. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think also there's the, just the realization of like, I committed the original sin. Yes, the primal <laughs> eldest uh, curse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the fact oh, that oh, like, oh, I, like, and it was like, and I thought, I, you know, I kind of I kind of went back through it and I was like, what, you know, what, what could cause, what would cause a man to kill his own brother? Yes. That, it, that could not be just like jealousy and hatred and I wondered like just what relation I, I've been trying to just think like what relationship did did Hamlet Sr. and Claudius have I, like what relationship did Claudius and Hamlet Sr. have as children what how what kind of an older brother was Hamlet what kind of a younger brother hmm. was Claudius and just like where did Gertrude figure into all that and where was the point at which Claudius yes. was like fuck this I've had enough of this I'm offing this motherfucker Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, the stuff, the stuff that I wrote down, I have more thoughts than this, but the stuff that, I, that made it onto the page was, uh, we have to decide why you did it, but we have to decide what you wanted the most, you know? I, yeah, I, I, the way Hamlet puts, the way the ghost puts it earlier is that, is that, um, originally Gertrude was the prize and so mm -hmm. and so it seems as though Claudius seduced um, seduced the queen and then moved the king out of the way to uh, have have the way to her cleared up and I think mm -hmm. the fact that Claudius puts the crown as the first um, the first effect for which he did the murder is revealing yeah. in that it, it was just like no it was always about the power Gertrude power. was uh, a means to an end killing my brother was a means to an end mm -hmm. yeah and yes, I Isabel, think that Isabel points out the ghost would see that it was that way um of yeah like mm -hmm. of of course you know there's no there's no seeing it there's no seeing into Claudius's mind no we never, Isabel, go. we never actually get the real story and that's one of the things that's so amazing about this play mm -hmm. um and and Patrick you pointing out that that Claudius puts the crown first I think is really important and um you know in my in in my uh, TED talk that I'll, I'll give at some point about how Claudius is not the worst um <laughs> if King Hamlet was away at war all the time was he a good king like maybe Claudius just loves Norway. And he was like, I don't see another way. Like he's never gonna die. This guy just won't die. We can't have an election, you know? So maybe he was a terrible king. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I, I, I wondered, I've, uh, you know, it, it, when you play the character, the character is always the good guy. And I, I've been asking myself the same question of like how effective, how effective a king was Hamlet and honestly how effective a father was Hamlet. But that's sort of neither here nor there for, from Claudius's perspective. Um, although very important, obviously, to the to the relationship of the of Hamlet and the ghost. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I was really intimidated by the speech when I first started working on it, and then I just sort of I figured out where the thought changes are, and yeah, going back to the folio text, just where the full stops are. It's a lot of midlines, um, a lot of midline stops. So it's just like it just yeah. keeps kind of driving. And it keeps churning. Yeah, it keeps churning. And I almost get the sense that um, 
I almost get the sense that by the end, he's he's like at his wits end. I think this, yes. this is a speech of self-discovery of just like, I'm fucked. Yes. I'm completely fucked. So like, why not just try fucking praying? And almost, and wretched, like wretched state, bosom black is death, oh lime it's soul. There's again that, um, <laughs> that lovely set of threes that we love to point out. And I think, I think those are almost crocodile tears. Like it's very, it's very painful, but I'm, I'm like trying mm-hmm. to make a show before God. I'm just like, I'm in such anguish over what I did, please forgive me. And finally, it's just like, I, 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 I'm fucked. Yeah, I think so. And I think that I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I think that what's interesting about it is that your language about it being a self-discovery speech, I think is really important because I feel like, I don't think he's the worst, you know, a character in the canon. I don't think he's as empty as a lot of the villains are, but I do think I think one of the most interesting distances is between what you thought you wanted and what it turns out you have. And the thing is like the th- something Shakespeare explores over and over in so many plays is like, for whatever reason, I mean, Hamlet is wrestling with it now in this room, the distance between I thought that I had to, I thought that I had to do this for, for reasons that feel right and make sense to me. Maybe he was a bad king. Maybe he was a bad father. Maybe you do want to fuck Gertrude. Maybe you just really want to be king for all of the sort of, you know, younger brother, I would be better at it reasons that you have, that you have all of that combined. But the thing of now what we're dealing with is you can't know what it's like to kill someone until you've done it. And once you've done it, you can never undo it and no one can save you. And I mean, it's something that like characters who don't have a conscience don't suffer with it. But I feel like it's one of the things, I don't know, I thought about it a lot. Well, I talked about it a lot when I directed Richard III about like the reason that there is a breaking down speech is because the character is in pursuit of some kind of wholeness that murder will never provide. You know what I mean? And only yeah. when it's done, do you realize yeah, the the, paral- the parallels of this speech to um, Richard's speech right before the Battle of Bosworth. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They stuck out to me now that you pointed it out, where he, where he's just like, "Oh no, I I I really did this to myself." Yes, and now I'm gone. I'm unsalvageable. Yeah, I'm unsalvageable. Can I, yeah. Can I ask an annoying question? Because first mm-hmm. and foremost, I like to annoy Patrick. Um, <laughs> my question Julia, is: I would have he- never ever gotten that from you? That's so funny. Oh my God, you're so funny. So my question is, would he still do this speech if he didn't think that Hamlet was onto him? Like, does that, like, would he, it's been four months. Like, is this the first time he's sat down and been like, wow, I killed somebody. Should I ask for forgiveness for that? Or is it because he's, he realizes that somebody knows potentially. So I, I, I kind of have to like work backwards from that because there's the, there's the, um, you know, how much, you know, how much does Claudius fear that Hamlet is onto him Mm -hmm. or, you know, is, is the, is the, um, is the reaction at at the mousetrap is that the realization that Hamlet has laid this trap for him? Mm-hmm. Or is that the, the triggering of seeing your wor- the, the very worst thing you've ever done in your life played out, on, played out in public? Um, I, I mean, yeah, the question is, does Hamlet's plan work? Or do you realize that Hamlet made a plan to trap you? 
you know, I mean, it's yes. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, so my inkling is that my inkling is that this is a bit of, is that Claudius is sort of like solving two problems at once by saying, I will use my political power to get, ha to, to take care of the Hamlet trap by getting him out of the country. And I can use my, I mean, I, I think of like, I think of the moment in like the jinx where Robert Durst will like, will like have these like little physical ticks to reveal that he's guilty. And I wonder like, you know, how much, how much of that facade can I keep up of like mm -hmm. in the beginning of the scene, how much can I convince Rosencrantz, Guildenstern and Polonius that it's like, I am deeply upset mm -hmm. that I'm deeply upset that this play was staged that, um, that is an, that is an abomination to the memory of my brother. You know, that like is, it's so, in, it's right. so insensitive tonally. How dare this, um, how dare this whiny, you know, Prince of Denmark um, put on this, uh, this adult, this awful display of, um, you know, decadence. And I mean, you know, sin. Yeah. Um, and how much, uh, you know, I would want to figure out if I were, if I were playing the role on stage, like how much, you know, how much am I revealing to those three characters so that so that I can deal with in this soliloquy the the struggle of um, squaring myself for death squaring myself for for uh, for heaven yeah I think those are the right I think those are the right questions I know we're gonna we're gonna roll on but also we 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 can. I think that I think that the essential ingredient of this speech is the thing that you kicked it off right from the beginning with, which is the thing of I need to see the effort that it's taken, not just since you realized that Hamlet was on to you, but really psychically the combined effort of behaving normally in this situation, in this kingdom, in this family, since you did this horrible thing. And I think the idea isn't that you it hasn't I think it's been weighing on you. And now it's an emergency because of Hamlet, but like, or it's been heightened by the play, whichever way that feels, you know, but it's, um, but I think it's been in there for a while. And it just is so significant to me that we don't get a moment alone with Claudius until the middle of act three. I mean, you know, and then it's this speech, which is massive. And obviously it has so much, you know, I mean, it has so much, um, kind of there's somebody in every one of these tragedies I think one of the things that Shakespeare writes most convincingly and beautifully is regret after having done something you can't take back and I mean it's like it has so much Macbeth DNA about like not being able to clean yourself not being able to wash your hands it has there's some Othello sort of DNA in there I don't know yes. the people who kill people and regret it all have language like this and the thing about never being able to make your soul clean again is just like something that really has always felt really convincingly nightmarish to me about Shakespeare's murderers. I have a question for Julia before we press on. Now, might you do it, Pat? He killed your father grossly full of bread. Um, yeah. Listen, kid, you're standing behind him with the sword out. Yeah. Why don't you do it now? So here's the thing. <laughs> I... This moment is so interesting to me because while I, as Hamlet, am confirmed that he has done it. Yes. And we, as like, as an audience member, I feel like we know that, that, that 
what the ghost says is true because we because Horatio and Marcellus and Bernardo also see the ghost because we also see the ghost. Like there is a sense of like, we know it's true, but then we see this speech and it is confirmed because here's the thing. And it's like the reason that like people are so fascinated by true crime is that even if someone is convicted, you don't know that they did it until they confess. That's And like, and the fact that Hamlet doesn't hear this speech that he comes in right after it is the reason that he doesn't kill him. I think that's great. Because to see someone praying is one thing, but to know that they don't feel that they've been forgiven by God, like Mm -hmm. to to hear them say like, no matter how much praying I do, I'll never Mm -hmm. be fucking forgiven is something. So I think if if you you know, if you knew what we know, you'd kill us. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think it's just that like, it's, it's to me, it's the piety of like, what Hamlet has been grappling with the whole play mm-hmm. of like, he's seen a ghost now, like his relationship yeah. to God and to his own yeah. mortality is so different. You know, it's like, yeah, it's all real. Like, yeah. And to me, it's, it's this thing of like, the, I cannot understand heaven, hells, anyone's relationship with God because you know, I've seen a ghost. I've seen my father dead and he's atoning for his sins. And he came back while atoning for his sin to, sins to ask me to kill someone. Like, how can I know anything? How can I, like, I still don't even know what happens after I die. Like the one thing my father didn't tell me in his speech is what is happening to him, you know? And so I think it's this, for me, it's this thing of like, it's, to see him praying like that's what hamlet goes to do right after he sees the ghost right you know he's like now i'm gonna go inside and go pray like that's what i have to do i'm so overwhelmed the idea that 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 claudius would also do that Mm -hmm. makes them too similar it's a little bit destabilizing yeah i think that's really helpful i like i I can't risk that i can't risk that i can't make that mistake Okay. Okay. That's fair. It's really a complicated scene because I think we've all seen probably in a lot of productions, this is sort of where, why don't you do it? Hamlet starts to stack up. You know, I feel like there's a lot of productions where energy starts to collect around, um, around the idea of Hamlet as being too afraid to act around this, around this moment. And I think that there might be germs of that, but I think it's also really important to remember, like you said, that it, that, that, uh, hell is real ghosts are real yeah god is real and so we can't make that mistake for -hmm. for me the journey of this play is of course like acknowledging that of course there is a lot of inaction but also like what did like hamlet would be a fucking lunatic if after the first scene he just ran screaming into the (laughs) throne room and stabbed claudius 15 times like that would be the act of a true madman. Well, and what I, I think, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I just think that like, we have to acknowledge that like, k- killing someone is not 
as easy as it as it seems and the seriousness of what he's doing is yes. important well that is what makes this play not just soapbox in a slings and arrows style way about this being the greatest achievement of western art even though i do believe that is that that's what makes this play interesting is that killing someone as a serious piece of business is like Revenge tragedies are plays where people receive huge pieces of information and run in and kill each other, like pretty much like this is the genre being reinvented. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people stopping to think about it doesn't always happen. Like that's not like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like there is an entire sort of I mean, you know, not that there's uh, you know, not that it's as black and white as that. And like, you know, every every play with a revenge plot before this is just people running in and stabbing, but like the, the, it's significant to me, the time that we take to think about it, not being, not, um, uh, not being able to make a mistake cosmically is a really important idea. Also, Isabel, yes. Hamlet, Shakespeare really hammers home that the Hamlet is a student of philosophy, um, mm. like quite literally. Um, and so he, so unlike some of Shakespeare's other people who eventually kill people, um, Hamlet is not a trained killer in any kind right. of way. He's not a soldier. He's probably never been to war. He's been at school, like just reading his nerd books. Um, so I think that, 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 that raises his stakes even further. Yeah. There's also sort of an embedded religious idea here that for Hamlet to truly avenge his father's death and get his father out of wherever he is, he needs to send his soul to hell. Um, so he just, he just can't let Claudius go to heaven because um, yeah. it, it, it won't do the thing and he needs to do the thing to its entirety. <laughs> totally mm-hmm. also like given that we started this act with like should i kill myself or not it's sort of like you know it's this this belief of like if i kill myself i'll go to hell if i kill this man while he's praying he'll go to heaven like where's the justice in that and like if i'm gonna stay alive to do this thing i'm gonna do it fucking right i'm gonna do it when he's like like when he's entering my mother i will kill this fucker you know which like, honestly like that the, it, that's gross but the language is gross and we're about yes. to walk into that room and have a gross scene with her about this yes. so where, like where can i just say i know we're going to talk about this later and i want to talk about it so bad with ariana but like we're in her bedroom where yes. there is a picture of her former husband <laughs> and her current husband who are brothers like possibly like a photo of them both as like toe-headed blonde babies <laughs> like above her bed like what the ever living fuck like, we'll get there in a second but it is it is mad it is mad yes, gross it sure. is mad gross the only last thing this is all really helpful i want to really hold on to this idea that we kind of discovered about just the gnarly dramatic irony of the scene of the fact that we need this private moment with claudius to get inside his psychology we have to have that and the the coming apart that he does is so vital and then the insanity of hamlet walking in a beat too late to know what we know the play could end here and it has to feel for a second like it might dramatically you know what i mean and then it doesn't and then just the tiniest last thing i want to hold up not even to say anything about it is just that patrick i'm just obsessed with all may be well at the very end for you there and I, obviously there's lots of different opportunities as to exactly what it means, but there's something really human and small about that to me. And it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, it seems like one of those things that could either go the beginning or the end of a, of a, of an iambic line. Um, where yeah. Like, I, yeah. Know, uh, where it could be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start praying, not feeling the spear right at the second. Okay. T- take a deep breath. Oh, it's, all maybe well. It's gonna gonna be fine. 
Or it could, you know, be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well. Plow ahead. Yeah, I think whatever it is, is really private. And I just like that you get that private moment. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Okay, um, so, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to ask you more questions about your about how you would direct something, Emma, but I, I get the sense you like this play and would like to talk about how you direct it. Um, at what point in this, in Claudius' speech, would you want Hamlet to enter? What, what oh. do you think is the strongest choice for that? Well, I mean, in this text, it's noted at the end of the speech. And I think it depends on the space that you're in because I think it depends on the distance. And also, though, just the dramatic convention of direct address, you know, I mean, I also feel like it depends on how intense the moment is between Claudius and the audience that like, well, you have to already be kneeling for 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 Hamlet to to see what he sees. And so I think it would have to be it has to be in the last moments after bow step or knees. You have to already be down. And so I think it's either. I think it might, I think it's after it. I think it's after you're done. And, it, but after, like, yeah. After all may be well, or or could, could it be at be soft as seniors of the newborn babe, enter. Yeah. All may be well. Yes, it could. Yes, yeah. it could. And a little overlap might be kind of sexy. Kind of fun, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it could be good. I think it could be good, but, but no matter what too late, you know, no matter what too late. But yeah, I think that's really good. So now that we've introduced weird mom energy, Let's get there onward into the weird mom energy uh, from you, Colin, whenever you're ready. We are so close, y'all. Three, four, let's do this thing. He will come straight. Look, lay you home to him. Tell him his pranks have been too broad to bear with. I'll silence me even here. Pray you, be round with him. Mother, mother, mother. I'll warrant you, fear me not. Withdraw, I hear him coming. Now, mother, what's the matter? Hamlet, thou hast thy father much offended. Mother, you have my father much offended. Come, come, you answer with an idle tongue. Go, go, you question with a wicked tongue. Why, how now, Hamlet? What's the matter now? Have you forgot me? No, by the rude, not so. You are the queen, your husband's brother's wife. And would it were not so, you are my mother. Nay, then, I'll set those to you that can speak. Come, come, and sit you down. You shall not budge. You go not till I set you up a glass where you may see the inmost part of you. <laughs> what wilt thou do? Thou wilt not murder me. Help! Ho! What ho? Help! Now a rat dead for a ducat dead. <gasps> oh, I am slain. Oh, me, what hast thou done? Nay, I know not. Is it the king? Oh, what a rash and bloody deed is this? A bloody deed. Almost as bad, good mother, as kill a king and marry with his brother. As kill a king? Aye, lady, it was my word. Thou wretched, rash, intruding fool, farewell. I took thee for thy better. Take thy fortune, leave wringing of your hands. Peace, sit you down and let me wring at your heart, for so I shall if it be made of penetrable stuff. What have I done that thou darest wag thy tongue in noise so rude against me? Such an act that blurs the grace and blush of modesty, calls virtue hypocrite, takes off the rose from the fair forehead of an innocent love and sets a blister there, makes marriage vows as false as dicer's oaths. Ay, me, what act that roars so loud and thunders in the index? Look here, 
Upon this picture, and on this, the counterfeit presentment of two brothers, see what a grace was seated on this brow. Hyperion's curls, the front of Jove himself, and I like Mars to threaten and command a combination and a form indeed where every god did seem to set his seal to give the world assurance of a man. This was your husband. Look you now what follows. Here is your husband, like a mildewed ear blasting his wholesome brother. Have you eyes? Could you on this fair mountain leave to feed and batten on this moor? <laughs> Have you eyes? You cannot call it love, for at your age the heyday in the blood is tame. It's humble and waits upon the judgment. And what judgment would step from this to this? Oh, shame! Where is thy blush? Hamlet, speak no more. Thou turnst mine eyes into my very soul. And there I see such black and grained spots as will not leave their tinct. Nay, but to live in the rank sweat of an inseamed bed, stewed in corruption, honeying, and making love over the nasty sty. Oh, speak to me no more! These words like daggers enter in my ears, no more sweet Hamlet. A murderer and a villain, a slave that is not twentieth part the tithe of your precedent lord, a vice of kings, a cup purse of the empire, and the rule that from the shelf the precious diadem stole and put in his pocket. No more. A king of shreds and patches. Save me and hover on me with your wings, you heavenly guards. What would your gracious figure? Alas, he is mad. Do you not come your tardy son to chide that lapsed in time and passion lets go by the important acting of your dread command? Oh, say. Do not forget. This visitation is but to wet thy almost blunted purpose. But look, amazement on thy mother sits. So oh, step between her and her fighting soul. Speak to her, Hamlet. How is it with you, lady? Alas, how is it with you that you do bend your eyes on vacancy? Oh, gentle son, whereon do you look? On him, on him. Look you how pale he glares. Do not look upon me, lest with this piteous action you convert my stern effects, that then what do I have to do? Will want true color, tears, perchance for blood. To whom do you speak this? Do you see nothing there? Nothing at all, yet all that is I see. Nor did you nothing hear? No, nothing but ourselves. Why, look you there, look how it steals away my father and his habit as he lived. Look where he goes, even now out at the portal. Oh, this is the very coinage of your brain. This bodiless creation ecstasy is very cunning in. Ecstasy? My pulse as yours doth temperately keep time and makes as healthful music. It is not madness that I have uttered. Mother, for love of grace, lay not that flattering unction to your soul, that not your trespass but my madness speaks. It will but skin and film the ulcerous place, whilst rank corruption mining all within infects unseen. 
Confess yourself to heaven. Repent what's past. Avoid what is to come. And do not spread the compost on the weeds to make them raker. Oh, Hamlet. Thou hast cleft my heart in twain. Oh, throw away the worser part of it and live the purer with the other half. Good night, but go not to my uncle's bed. Assume a virtue if you have it not. Refrain tonight. And that shall lend a kind of easiest easiness to the next abstinence, the next more easy. Once more, good night. For this same Lord, I do repent, but heaven hath pleased it so to punish me with this and this with me, that I must be their scourge and minister. I will bestow him and will answer well the death I gave him. So again, good night. I must be cruel only to be kind. This bad begins and worse remains behind. One word more, good lady. What shall I do? Not this, by no means that I bid you do. Let the bloat king tempt you again to bed, pinch wanton on your cheek, call you his mouse, and let him for a pair of reachy kisses or paddling in your neck with his damned fingers make you to ravel all this matter out that I essentially am not in madness, but mad in craft. Twere good you let him know. Be thou assured, if words be made of breath and breath of life, I have no life to breathe what thou hast said to me. I must to England. You know that. Oh, alack, I had forgot. Tis so concluded on. There's letters sealed, and my two schoolfellows, whom I will trust as I will adders banged, they bear the mandate. They must sweep my way and marshal me to knavery. Let it work. But I will delve one yard below their minds and blow them at the moon. This man shall send me packing. I'll lug the guts into the neighbor room. Mother, good night indeed. This counselor is now most still, most secret, and most grave, who was in life a foolish prating knave. Come, sir, to draw toward an end with you. Good night, mother. We made it to the end of the act, and there is so much to talk about in this scene, y'all. I gotta say, it is such a fucking brilliant choice of Shakespeare's to establish the ghost with people who, as far as we textually can tell, can also see him. And then this far into the play to put you and the ghost in a room where only you can see him because it makes you feel really fucking crazy (laughs) to the audience. And also it makes us feel crazy because we are you and we can see him. It is such an interesting structure for the end of this act. There's so much that I want to draw attention to. Why are you so obsessed with the sex your mom is having? It is so granular and disgusting in the choice of words. Um, and yes, the, uh, what the thing that Isabel put in the chat about ecstasy is like, we haven't had that word. And now starting with, starting with Ophelia blasted with ecstasy. Now it's all over the act. Now it's all over act three. And like, you know, we spent so much of yesterday talking about different terms for madness and like this word ecstasy has just exploded all over this act and it 
means so many things. And it's really like our primary word for what's happening now. You know, it's really interesting that, yeah, I mean, as, as just for, for the room, as Isabel put in the chat, an exalted state of feeling, which engrosses the mind to the exclusion of thought. And that can be, that can go in so many directions, but it's an explosive um, thing. Uh, there's so many different things that, I mean, Gertrude, Gertrude town, Oof. the mystery of Gertrude of Yo for why she, <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, the mystery of Gertrude about why she, you know, we just asked Patrick, like, why did you do it? How have you felt about it since? I mean, it's basically the same question for Gertrude, I feel like, is that I think it's impossible to pick one thing in terms of like, why did she do it? But how has she felt about it since? And I mean, to be clear, the marrying, not the murder, because I don't know how you feel about this, Ariana, but I Talk to me about how, about what she knows and what she doesn't know. I do not think that she knows that Claudius killed uh, the king. I just don't find any evidence for that. I think, I think it's quite a stretch and yet again, a vilification of one of the two (laughs) women in the play. And I don't think it's a very useful choice somehow um, that she knew about it. Um, I do think though, considering how, distant she becomes from here on out I think with Claudius that there is something like she begins to suspect something is up and something is rotten (laughs) as it were to me what is so tragic about this scene is it's women during this time who weren't married were like in danger like there is safety in marriage you have protection Uh, It's the only way that sort of in my mind, I can make sense of the Lady Anne scene, you know, in Richard III is like, yeah, you need protection during this time. So that's that's sort of one thing. The other thing is that I think, you know, when something really traumatic happens, I think generally we tend to want intimacy after trauma. And to me, that is kind of what makes sense in terms of uh, Claudius and Gertrude's relationship. Trauma causes feelings of, of needing uh, uh, intimacy. And th- just to put it out there that, that um, Hamlet Sr.'s death was horrific. I mean, it was a horrific, yes. it wasn't just like he died in his sleep. He would have looked really messed up, I think, <laughs> with, this, with this poison. So, yeah, I, the thing that struck me is what I think is so scary about this scene too, is I think it must be terrifying for a parent to then become afraid of their child. And speaking from experience as a nanny, um, (laughs) bringing in the nanny um, business, it is really scary when the kid that you're taking care of tries to hurt you. It's terrifying because they somehow like they've they've broken the rules in that moment and you have no idea what they're going to do next and it's really really disturbing so so that that was my impulse and just reading it it's like she goes into the scene wanting to be like hamlet we need to talk like this is your behavior is this is inexcusable like this is not acceptable behavior and she ends she very quickly becomes very scared and doesn't comes in so hot it's 
it's so crazy to me how quickly it starts. I mean, the thing, this thing of them not having spoken in a really long time and then remembering as soon as they start the way that he throws her words back at her in the first, in, in, in one, two, you know, it's like, it's like a bullet out of a gun, this scene, the way he's just like, boom, we're doing it. And so it's like, I don't want to, I didn't want to talk to her, but now that I'm here and all of that adrenaline in the body that Julia was just speaking about, it's just like out the gate. It is so scary. And I don't know, some of his language, I do, there's lots to, to touch, but obviously you guys, you know, delivered it beautifully. So I just want to uplift that. I really heard um, like a mildewed ear is such a particular and gross way of describing Claudius as it like never call a person a mildewed ear, like, wow, gross, but also like the ear imagery because of the way that old Hamlet died, the way that the murder is done, the fact that in your imagination, you've just transmogrified Claudius's entire being into a gross molding ear. That is so vivid and like dreamlike and strange. And also speaking of adrenaline and like nerves, the fact that Gertrude would have just come from watching like a crude pantomime of her husband's death in front of her. And it's like, even if she doesn't know it's poison, she just watched a guy like have a horrible writhing death on stage. And like, if we had seen that, we would have that in our bodies in a collective memory kind of way of like, it's a very gross thing that we've all just walked away from. So that language really hit me really strong. Also, lol, the heyday in the blood is tamed. Like, you know, Gertrude's what, 40? <laughs> Gertrude's like, okay, well, first of all, the heyday in the blood is not tamed. But <laughs> just the fact that Hamlet, all of what, 21, is like, you don't fuck anymore, do you? Like, you shouldn't, <laughs> you know? It's, there's a lot of like, I don't know, his, his imagining of their sex is such a big part of this scene. It's just obviously like we all know that it is worth commenting on how strange that is. And, and obviously there are, I'm, you know, I shouldn't say obviously, but I think we've all probably heard or heard about or seen productions of this where it goes into all kinds of, you understand why people sort of slip and slide into kind of terrible Oedipal, you know, um, son, mother, like sex tension weirdness. And it's because the, the, the scene has so much sex tension weirdness language, but the grossed out quality of it is no less intense and dramatic than the incest tack. I don't think that that's necessarily gets us where we want to go, but I see why some people sure. go there. You know, I think, I think for me, it's always been such a, like, part of, part of Hamlet that has been like an interesting access point for me as like, an, an actor is the revulsion that, that like so much of so much of the the revenge and so much of the like horrified nature of the crime is revulsion yeah. and, and and that I feel that in some of the like in some of the Ophelia stuff too where it's just sort of like how could I ever want to have sex again you know and I like I'm sorry for using so much graphic language no, no. that's super but like that's super it though because in the last scene we talked about like okay well I can't marry you because my uncle and my mother have ruined marriage yeah. and it it absolutely tracks that like well sex is also ruined because they've ruined sex for me yeah by having it <laughs> yeah it, it is very much that and like you know obviously I, I'm not gonna like make assumptions about like the time and like that kind of shit because that doesn't serve us at all. But also like you know he's he's a young prince. It's different, you know, and like it is this thing of you you grow up kind of with parents who are like pure and 
eight uh, figures. <laughs> iconoclastic yeah. in their like yeah. parenthood, in their like, you know, beautiful, pure virginal mother and like the princely, like beautiful militant father. And then like suddenly your father dies horribly and your mother suddenly have has this like new sexual awakening that for her is great, but for you like <laughs> completely undoes the entire world and like your whole construct of gender and like, and love and like everything, you know, it, it is, it is foul and, and gross what he does, but also like it, 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 I think is a big window into his disillusionment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think revulsion as an access point is a really visceral way of understanding the character. And I think that's really helpful because we've been talking a lot about things that move through the body that we can see in the language and like adrenaline is one revulsion is one. There are a lot of really hot currents like that, that are really helpful. Poison is one. (laughs) Poison is one. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and fear is one. I mean, there's so many, there's so many really intense electric kind of um, gut centered emotions happening. Revulsion is really interesting though. Cause I think it's like a really, it's a visceral trigger that we can all imagine. Now, before we go any further, we do have to like acknowledge we just murdered Polonius in the middle of that scene. And for all, speaking of revulsion for most of that gross, sexy time, there's a dead, there's a dead guy on the floor and our dude Polonius, little did you know, he died doing what he loved spying. Um, but like, you know, I mean, like it's, it just really hit me. And as we've been speaking about him over the past few days, the fact that he, it's never, it's never come back to bite him before, <laughs> Like, but also he's here, he's here to gather information, but also like he makes I don't know. He cries out. I feel like he's also sort of here to protect Gertrude in a certain kind of way. And then this goes horribly wrong. And like, I don't know. Gertrude. It's so interesting because he protects Gertrude in the way that he didn't protect Ophelia in the scene that we just watched. I know. I know. It's really interesting. But his, oh, well, there's so many things to say about it. But the first blood of the play is, um, well, (laughs) since the beginning, since the action has begun, the first blood of the play is massive. And also, of course, like, there's so much to say about the fact that on the way to this conversation, you walked by a guy who you were really thinking hard about murdering. And we just had a conversation in which you said, killing someone is something that you have to think really hard about. And now here we are in this closet and we spun around with the blade out and stuck it in somebody's gut. And now your yeah. girlfriend's father is dead and it's your fault. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't, like I said with Rose and Guild, it's like, I want to make sure that I am consciously bridging the gap between like rationalizing the decision-making process and validating the behavior, because obviously it's a horrible act. It's a horrible, yeah. horrible, monstrous act. But, but like as Hamlet though, like I can't, this is the thing where he's just sort of like, I'm going to wait until he's doing something sinful. And in the moment it's like, ah, somebody's spying on me. A thing that I have watched happen over the course of these four months over and over and over again. I'm pumped. I'm still pumped full of adrenaline. I have chosen not to do the thing that I I've wanted to do because I don't want him to be pure. Perfect. Like if this is him, so be it. If not like fucking good riddance, I'm so sick of being spied on. I'm so sick of like my whole life being everyone's knowledge. I just want to have one honest conversation with my mother where I give her the opportunity to apologize. And like, 
it's literally the very first thing where it's like, sit down. Mm-hmm. I want to show you, like, I want to show you the mirror of what you've been. And at that first moment, somebody's like, wait, you can't do that. And I'm like, no, this has been four months coming. This conversation has to happen. Like that to me is like, is, is the like action of that action. Yes. Yes. I think that's really helpful that the split second, and just to be clear, I'm not ever, and I think nor should we be artistically asking for justification doesn't matter because morals aren't interesting. It's actually just what is the physical thing that is happening in your body in this moment? All of those things that you just described so eloquently, exactly it, it forms a cocktail in the split second that it takes between you hear the, you hear the noise and the knife is in your hand done. And then we have to like what happens after. Hamlet Hamlet talks himself out of doing the violent thing so many times and has been waiting so long for proof for like, for, for to, to tie up the loose ends, to say goodbye to Ophelia, to, to like, to Mm -hmm. see if he has anyone left to trust. And now in this moment, like it, like, like he blacks out, you know? And I think it's, I think that that's really intentional and a weird comment on like, that's how actual violence happens is that it isn't necessarily a thing where you're like, I'm over here. Like violence happens messily and by accident. And I think that one of the most, I think part of why Hamlet immediately starts making jokes about it I mean, this scene ends with I'll lug the guts into a neighbor room. We have to deal with how ugly that language is. And then we get more jokes about it in act four. And for somebody who has, there's almost an irony that I think he's even aware of, of the fact that we thought for so long about what it would mean to kill someone. And then we killed the wrong man by accident. It's just a fucking horrible joke. You know, it's awful. It's awful. And I think that we can experience it as that. But I think that weirdly dissociating with humor is also one of the only things he can do in that moment to not lose his fucking mind. A hundred percent. And I also want to say like, we began this act, like we be, we began this like barreling head first into adrenaline with being like, I don't coming to terms with his soul and his mortality. And like the idea that like my job here is to commit is to, is to kill someone. And with that is going to come a lot of violence and is going to come a lot of like coming to terms with my soul. If I have to kill this man in order to like achieve my, my, my fate, the thing that I've been put on this earth to do that that's part of what I'm here to do. And, and like, I think it's a monster I th- process. So be it. Go ahead, Joe. I think it's so interesting about that too. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we might get there, but like, is that the ghost does show up at this part? Yes. Because he's like, hey, uh, you're kind of losing it. Don't forget what you're supposed to be. I didn't tell you to kill that guy. Your mm-hmm. purpose is to kill the guy that killed me and stole my wife away from me. And like, look what you're fucking like, look at your mother right now is horrified at like at you, you're her son. And like fucking like talk and and, like, like you were saying, Hamlet comes in and and he's like, I need to have this conversation with her, but he's not actually talking to her. He's talking at her, I think almost. And it's like, just fucking talk to your mom about this shit. And like, don't for, yeah. I think that's brilliant, Joe. There were two things that the ghost says that I really wanted to uplift because they really hit my ear. And one of them was thy almost blunted purpose, because that is such a great phrase. And, you know, I mean, of course, yes, he just killed the wrong guy. But also, you know, the fact that it it, it makes the audience feel aware of 
the fact that we just walked by Claudius and didn't do anything. We had the knife out. We were right behind him and we decided not to do it. And we kept walking. And now here you are. And and the ghost says of Gertrude, her fighting soul. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, okay, what are you fighting about? What is the tension about in this moment? You know, like what is the fight that the ghost can see that Hamlet can't see in her? Mm. Even though she can't see him, he can see her. I think that's really interesting. I also, a discovery just as we were reading this was that the, this, all of her remorse is, for me, it was not about Claudius. It was about Hamlet. It was about, Mm. I have not taken care of my son and I haven't. And that, so when she says, Hamlet, you have, you've broken my heart. It's, you are, are the thing that has caused me to just implode as a human right now. I don't know. It just seems to me that to hear her son saying these words is like such a signal to her that she has not fulfilled her duty to sort of take care of her son. And I mean, it's, that it's he's so gone sad. so dark. <laughs> it's like, yeah, come back. It's- It's so interesting, too, because it's like, you know, obviously we only know what we have in the text about Hamlet's like life. But, you know, what we do know is that he's been in boarding school, basically, you know, he's been in school in a different country um, in a, you know, an all boys school in which he is allowed to be like, yeah, I'm a prince. Yeah, my dad's the king. He's pretty fucking badass. He's like fighting this war. And like the way that that as an identity has built this concept of masculinity within this character and like the way that he thinks about like like we said sort of said before like this this very gendered um structure of like what life is and what relationships are and like what parentage is and what you know Mm -hmm. what like what that means as like I mean, like everything is a hierarchy to Hamlet. He's a prince, you know, like everything is a hierarchy to Hamlet. <laughs> like he is, he is constantly like it, it is, you do this and then you do this and then you do this and you, you become king and then you impregnate a girl and then you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then you, you know, do whatever. It's, it's so, so contemporary yeah. in it's in the way that it is of like, oh my God, how could I let my, my, my beautiful, sweet toe-headed son who like would do nothing but sit in my arms as like a tiny little dough ball and now like look at him he like he hates women <laughs> like like and he killed a guy in front of me <laughs> and he now... killed the guy in front of me like he he is it's scary i don't know him anymore and i yes. think that's that's such a that's such a modern yes, thing that i think that sometimes we forget that it could possibly be a part of this play because it's so yes feels so real (laughs) agree Um, agree and before before we wind it back because we have to I just want to say that Ariana I felt like your delivery I just wanted to celebrate your your delivery of oh he is mad (laughs) of the emphasis of that because that hit me in a really revelatory way of like yeah and it does a lot of things because obviously that gives me the information that you didn't totally think it was true before or you were questioning it or whatever. It gives me a new relationship to how you've been watching him. And it makes me, the audience feel crazy because I can see what Hamlet can see. And it reminds me through that of something we talked about with act one of the fact that the ghost sort of is Hamlet. Like there is a psychic connection between them about the ghost speaking out of or to Hamlet's most dire need emotionally 
and obviously he shows up here psychically it's really significant that we have just killed somebody and especially that it is Polonius after the act that we've lived through you know also, I don't know it's the beginning of a long slippery slide mm-hmm. yeah. and also just like you know to, to sort of like have this weird conversation with Joe about it like the fact that he you know if like it, it behooves us to just believe in ghosts if you're going to do Hamlet you might yeah. as well just believe in ghosts <laughs> like otherwise what are we doing here but this idea that like why why should gertrude see him like what 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 is mm. the point of gertrude seeing the ghost you know like she doesn't need to yeah i mean i guess like, to, and, and since and you the same reason that... he's he's certainly not haunting claudius you know like no the, the ghost doesn't want to appear to gertrude right well i mean it goes back to like the ghost has been you know other people have been seeing it but the only time he speaks is to hamlet him. So it's like this ghost only exists for Hamlet's purpose. Mm-hmm. And so like 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 you said, like why should Gertrude see it? It's like she's, you know, in a world of ghosts. I'm sure Gertrude uh, at the center of her play has her own ghost that she's, you know, kind of dealing with. Um, but like this is and and I and I also think like in this scene, again, it's so interesting that the ghost shows up because in that first meeting with the ghost and and the conversation they have it is sort of like unclear it's like is this just hamlet putting this out and reflecting the things that hamlet wants back but in this appearance i think like the ghost it's a stark contract contrast because he's saying something that hamlet isn't seeing right now Mm -hmm. i love he's trying he's trying to guide hamlet back to the purpose rather than just what he wants to hear is like i can i'm i want to be violent and i gotta do whatever i gotta do to to get this thing done and it's like well hang on that's not the thing and and also a reminder of like that's not what i said the first time like i told you not to bother with your mother yes and the fact i think that there's just like a I mean, for all the time we spent talking about Hamlet and Ophelia's, the love in the room and the pain of the loss of that, it is really interesting to me to end the act here with the fact that the ghost can see something inside Gertrude's soul that Hamlet Mm. isn't even looking for. There, And it still feels like there's like weird lost love in the room. I don't know. And also that thing of like, that, that, that to me just calls back to Hamlet cannot see into people's souls. Hamlet does not know if Claudius is really sorry. Hamlet does not know if Claudius has really been forgiven by whatever God any of them believe in. Hamlet does not know anything about Gertrude's. So perhaps like it is not Hamlet's job to judge who, who will be forgiven by God because Hamlet's here to kill someone. So how should he be able to judge anyone for anything? You know, this is like no killing is a just killing. Um, so I think it's like the scene is so it's a scene between us where he sees his parents perhaps for the yes. first time in many years together, you know, it's, yes. it's incredibly horrible. 